Welcome to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and convention coverage, hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. Helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other listeners, find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube pages, support our Podbean crowdfunding campaign, and much more. Star Wars Action News, covering the whole galaxy of Star Wars toys. Welcome to Star Wars Action News. We're at episode 493, and this is our celebration pregame show. Thought that was our last show. Didn't we pregame celebration there and give all the tips? People loved the socks, and I'm not even being sarcastic. No, I swear to God, this company features probably needs to pay me some sponsorship money because so many people are going to buy their socks that their stocks should just like jump up. But I'm not kidding when I said these are like an amazing thing to have on your feet. These socks are the bomb, guys. No more (laughs) blisters. Your feet don't stink at the end of the day because this is moisture wicking. Your feet don't get all yucky and sweaty. Pretty awesome socks. And hey, who doesn't love not having blisters at the end of the day? Yes, you can hear all of our tips about bags and shoes. It's a little late to buy shoes by the time you're listening to this, unless you're going to wear them every single day and do a good walk each day to make sure they're fully broken in so you don't get blisters. But yes, that's the last show. But this show, yeah, we're going to be really ready for celebration. They held off doing a lot of announcements until right before the convention. And we're going to have a couple of interviews coming up later on. We've got Joe Caroni and Brian Miller from The Art Show. And then we're going to be talking to Frank DiOrio again, one of my favorite celebration people, about his diorama project there. Great for kids of all ages. Yeah, the diorama workshop is, I think, a highlight of every single celebration. More exclusives have been revealed. More panels, including our live podcast and some of the stuff we're doing. Yeah, we're going to be on the podcast stage at 1230 on Sunday. And that's Eastern Time, and that will be streamed live, so... 11.30 Central, 10.30 Mountain, 9.30 a.m. Pacific on Sunday, you can watch us do our live podcast. We're going to be reviewing some celebration-exclusive items, some stuff from the store. The Kotobukiya stuff is in our intent, so join us live, whether you're at the con or at home. But if you're at the con, there's going to be prizes and giveaways. Yeah, we are going to be having some giveaways at our live show, so it would be in your best interest to come on and take a listen and see what we've got. We're also going to have Daryl joining us up on stage to kind of talk about some of the exclusives of the show, maybe review something and how much fun everyone has had. We're also having a meet and greet on Saturday in the Collector Social Lounge at 2 p.m. You're going to want to be there for this. You get to see the faces behind the podcast. But let's be honest, you want the patch, right? Yeah, we're going to be giving away a piece of a six-part patch set with other fan sites jedi temple archives we're going to have jedi news jedi business this week in star wars now you're like marjorie wait that's only five well the last piece we're going to talk about in a little bit yeah it is from the collecting track social area itself so there's the five meet and greets if you head to either our facebook page or any of the group's facebook pages any of the sites involved 
or we'll have a link to the article from SWActionNews.com. It'll have the full-time Justin, co-host of Marvelicious Toys and now playing, knocked the design out of the park with this. It is the vintage 12 figures in a kind of 21-back design in a puzzle with the double racetrack Star Wars logo. It's pretty dang awesome for vintage fans, for patch fans, and these are limited, but... Say you can't make one of the meet and greets for one of the sites, or you see a piece of the patch and it's Friday and you already missed Thursday's meet and greet. Each site is going to be giving away 10 of their patches per day through social media. So this is for attendees, but if you go to the article, it has the Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook information for all the sites. And if you follow there, if you miss the meet and greet, you have a chance, it's a long shot, but a chance of getting some of those patches given to you elsewhere. Now to get that last patch, if you're going to celebration, you you can get this patch by taking part in our Recollections, Your Star Wars Story video series. What we're doing is interviewing people about 40 years of collecting. Who got you into collecting? Do you have a great collecting memory or story you want to share? And we're going to use these. One, we're going to stream them in the room as the day goes on, but also in between the collecting track panels, either at this celebration or next celebration. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to take you maybe about 10, 15 minutes to come in. We'll get you mic'd up, sign a waiver, and then we're going to ask you some questions on camera. And just for doing that, you do get a patch. You're going to get that final piece of the patch. There will be other ways to get that patch by following the collecting track on Twitter or by joining the collecting track group on Facebook. You have a chance of getting, but if you want to be guaranteed that patch, you got to sign up for the recollections thing. And this is not a Star Wars action news video project. This is actually the collecting track and the videos used may be shown in between panels at future celebrations in the collecting area. We're going to be displaying some in the social lounge on a television we're going to have in there where we're also planning on simulcasting the opening ceremony. So if you want to hang out with other collectors and not wait in a massive line. Well, I'll be hanging out in that room. I'm not going to go wait in a massive line. I'll probably have a Starbucks and be hanging out in there with my feet up for a little bit and kind of pre-gaming it. That's all happening in W305 down the hall from the podcast stage. And of course... We're going to have badges, one per day, one per decade, celebrating 40 years of collecting. Now, the first one's going to be hard to get because we've got five badges and our pre-celebration party is all full up on space. People who are coming to the party are going to get one. We will have a few extras that we'll be giving away through various means throughout the weekend. So then the other four, you have to... Find one of the Star Wars Action News team, Daryl, Marjorie, myself, or Steve, and then each of us are going to have a very limited number of badges per day to give out. So if you're one of the first 25 people to see one of us each day, you can get that day's badge. And then we're going to be hosting the so full, it's often... A problem with the fire marshal, Star Wars swap meet on Saturday night, as always. Reed got some wire crossed. They originally published that the swap meet was Thursday night. No, not Thursday night. We will be doing the swap meet, as always, 
on Saturday. Yep, Saturday, 7 to 9. And it's always a good time. Always fun. I always have a blast at these. I hate to say this because I don't like lines. But if you want to get in, you want to line up early. Because last time we had to bring people in in batches. The line went way down the exhibit hall. The words out that the swap meet is the place to get rare and unusual items. Mm-hmm. Collectors who have prototypes or rare vintage pieces or foreign pieces or just some swag and things like that from previous cons. I really am still to this day grateful to Larry and the other volunteer at the convention center last time who really helped wrangle that line because so many people. Larry is perhaps the best person at line management and just general all-around goodness that I've ever seen. He's like the Pied Piper. He gently spoke. Everyone just followed him. So if you want to have first crack at the rarities, we're not opening the doors till seven, but you can start sitting out in the hall anytime. The social lounge is going to close at five because we need a couple hours to set the room up for the swap meet, but you're welcome to wait outside and be one of the first in. Or of course, if you are bringing stuff to swap, then you get in a little earlier to set up. Mm-hmm. But what if you're not going to celebration? You know, I got a little bit of feedback on that, which is the people who can't make it. It's Easter weekend. That's hard on a lot of families. It is. A lot of people I've talked to said that they're not going because of that. And I understand. It's a holiday. I'm surprised they're actually having it over a holiday. But they did holidays in the past, too. Was it Memorial Day? Yeah. That's not a like a that's a picnic holiday. (laughs) Let's not like a go to church, wear pretty clothes holiday. It's difficult for some people and others. It's in Florida. The people who went to the California one, you know, you got to trek across the entire country and that's not feasible. Kids in school. I know a lot of people were much happier when they were doing these in summertime and the kids weren't in school. Teachers who can't get time off work to go. So if you can't go to the con, well, let's talk about some stuff coming out that you can buy at home and you probably won't have to wait in a line as long as at Celebration. And then we'll talk about some of the stuff you can get from Celebration on your sofa. First, Hasbro. The Jetta Revolt 4-pack is hitting stores. Marjorie found it a couple of weeks ago. I did. It hasn't hit widespread, but with the release of Rogue One on Blu-ray and DVD this week, I think it's going to be hitting a lot harder. I've gotten a lot of reports in just this past weekend of people finally finding that in stores. Now, the people at Hasbro and Litsky Public Relations were kind enough to send us one of these that we're going to be giving away at Celebration. So thanks for that, guys. They sent it to us for review, but we already bought the set, so we're going to review it. But the set they sent us, you get a chance to win it at our panel on Sunday, the live podcast. And it seems Hasbro's now having a formula. When they release their figures the first time in September, you can buy them. And then they're keeping one minor but important character back. And then there's going to be a four-pack later on where they're going to repack at least one of their figures and give you that important character. For The Force Awakens, they did this with Maz Kanata. And that set was a little bit worse than this one because there were a lot of repacks and then Maz. Yeah, and everybody wanted Maz. And this one, if you want Saw Gerrera, and he was a pivotal part of that movie, then you have to buy this box set. He was not released alone. But there's three figures here that are new. So let's start with the one who isn't, Jyn Erso. Nope. 
It's the figure I saw. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of Bare Naked Ladies, the song My Box Set, where <laughs> they're like, disc one's my greatest hits, and if you're a fan, you know that you've already got them. That's how I feel about putting Jen Erso in here. But this is still a good figure, because, you know, they just didn't give her a hair helmet. They got the bun. They got the little side bits hanging off. Her scarf is removable, which is, I think, pretty dang good for what we're getting with the five POAs anymore. I like that they've made it a point to, by and large, give working holsters that you can put the guns in. And I'm going to be comparing these figures a lot to vintage. I think the five POA and the straight out mummy arms really take me back to my childhood. And so when I look at what to do with the guns and things. She comes with a tiny blaster. And it reminds me, when I was a kid, I always lost Princess Leia's gun because they made hers really small. And it always got sucked up in the vacuum. Every time they'd release a Leia, they'd use that same gun. And this one, she's got a pretty tiny gun, but a holster to put it in so I don't have to feel like it's going to fall out of her hand and I'm going to lose it. It's nowhere near as small as vintage Leia's, but it's by far the smallest gun here. I think I said it on our initial review of this figure, but they really did a good job with her scarf and head wrap here. And the fact that it's removable and it's not too big, because a lot of times when they put removable things on a head, they're oversized and look ridiculous. This is good. I like this one. There's a little weird paint on her pocket here where I think there's supposed to be some stuff coming out of it. And it looks like the paint just, they painted it a little more than they should have that wasn't on our original. But yeah, I think this is a solid figure and this is a gift set. So the intent is that you get main characters or you walk away with basically a scene. And three of the four characters here are all from Jetta. They're all from a specific moment in Rogue One. Now there's an Imperial in here and while he was on Jetta, he didn't interact with Saw Gerrera much, but let's get to the three new figures. We're going to save Saw for last. I want to save the best for last. But in this set, we do get an Imperial hover tank pilot. He's actually got a decent white. He's not too glossy. And it's, you know what? I wouldn't be upset at this figure, but getting a little scuffed and dirty because it's already got like a good white on it. That's not too bright. He's holding his blaster well. With these little figures, it's hard to do. And I was afraid that the blaster would be too heavy, but it's actually perfect for him. And it kind of rests on his forearm too. So all in all, a good figure. I think it's it looks good. It, it's got enough detail where you're not going to mind that it's 5 POA. You can accomplish what you need. My only problem is, is there's it's also literally tiny and petite, like Jen Erso. And I would expect her to be a little smaller because she's a woman and she was a smaller actress compared to some other people. But I feel like the Stormtrooper or the hover tank pilot, I'm sorry, is is very petite. And maybe it's just because I'm not used to the three and three quarters so much anymore like I used to be. They feel like a smaller three and three quarter inch scale, you know? Okay, so it's not me thinking that. For a while, it felt like the figures had really grown to maybe a four inch scale and things. We were getting bigger figures and now they're definitely smaller. And this is a modified ATACT driver. But here's my problem. Where's my hover tank for him to pilot? He has a gun, so I guess he could jump out of the tank and start shooting people. But I haven't felt this way since 2004 when Hasbro gave me a cloud car pilot and didn't give me a cloud car. (laughs) I always tried to use that logic on my mom, too. You bought me the TIE Fighter pilot. Now you have to buy me the TIE Fighter. When I was a kid and they were vintage toys, it didn't work. I never got a TIE Fighter. Aww. (laughs) Well, you've made up for it in your adult life. Yes, indeed. Could all be psychologically 
explained away as overcompensation. The third figure is Edrio Tutubes, and he was one of the aliens from Saw's gang that escorted Bodhi to Saw's compound. His lair. I like to think of it as a lair. This looks like something else. I've always thought this character looked like something else, and I can't place it. I don't know if it's one of Clive Barker's- Oh, no, no. I know exactly what it is. What is it? It kind of reminds me of one of the Tortured Souls. Mad Max Fury Road. Look <gasps> at the mask. Not in Morton Joe. It's in Morton Joe. He just needs a big wig. It is a Morton Joe, isn't it? Yeah. Hmm. With the skull head and the mask. Yeah, I guess it is a Morton Joe. I love that character. All right, so I'm going to have to say this guy's my favorite because I like a Morton Joe. <laughs> I like this character a lot in action figure form. They gave him such a dirty wash. One of the problems I've had with the figures, and including the hover tank pilot, is they're so dang flat. Again, like vintage figures. And here... They made him dirty. There's a good brown over the tan of his outfit. Well, you know, you said that they remind you of the vintage figures, but this one has one piece to it that makes me so nostalgic for the vintage figures. His tunic, it's like a pantsuit. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, the split leg. Yeah, where it billows down, but because there's no soft goods because of this, and it, he's got a little pantsuit. It's like culotte pantsuit. He's the most unfashionable man in the galaxy. I will say his tubes, very flimsy. I'd be afraid that if I played with them too rough that they would break. Like you can yank those out pretty fast if you're not careful. But he is a good figure. It does not appear the mask comes off. I remember the 2-1-B vintage figure that had the pipe like this. And you could take it out of his mouth and just have like the peg hole there. But he's got like a X-Wing pilot square in the front. He comes with a big rifle. And this was bringing me back to my vintage days, too, because without the ability to bend the arm, it was really a little tricky to get in his hand. And then you got the stock there that you're supposed to, you know, put up in your armpit area to avoid recoil, and you can't do that. And I was thinking back to Dengar and Bosk and some of those characters. Actually, Bosk had a cool one, but some of the older characters that came with rifles that they were only able to stick out like this. But no, this guy is very cool, but the best of the bunch, Saw Guerrera. And I'll tell you, this guy with his heavy front armor, he has a cape in the back. The vintage figure I got off of this, Dengar. Oh yeah, he does kind of look like Dengar with all his wraps and that yucky cape. And just being a little bit thicker, be it the armor or the actor... You know, Dengar was always a bulky figure back then. He also had the backpack on. And here, with the cape and just the thickness of the character, it really has taken me back to my Dengar days. I really like how they gave him Forrest Whitaker's unfortunate hair in the movie. Because he did have, like, this crazy man hairdo going on, and they replicated it pretty darn well. Although it kind of looks like he's got a pompadour. <laughs> The likeness is really good, though, for Forrest Whitaker. For being a really small figure, I think that they got a really good Forrest Whitaker going. You do lose a little bit of articulation with him because he can't turn his head because of his collar that's around his neck. So mention that. And then his left arm, if he's facing the same way as you are, is limited mobility because of his clothing again. His shoulder pauldron comes down to about mid-bicep. And that's, yeah, so he's really got like, what, three and a half? Yeah. Four and a half. The head will turn if you force it. 
I didn't want to force it. I never, ever want to force the action figures. I'm always afraid I'm going to break them. Yeah, you got to kind of pull his back like, you know, it's a ball joint. So you can bring it back just a little bit to raise his chin. And if you raise the chin, then it moves a little bit. But yeah, the arm underneath the shoulder armor isn't going anywhere. You don't really spend a lot of time looking at Saw in the film. You don't get glory shots head to toe. So I didn't realize exactly how weird his robotic foot was, but he's got that going on here. Mm -hmm. He's got tubes going around like two tubes did. The paint job's really solid, and he comes with two accessories. The only person in this set, too. He's got his staff, and then he's got a small blaster that also goes in a holster. So if you want a character to come in and torture your good guy informants and then (laughs) act all crazy and think everybody's betraying him, this is your figure. Just the sculpting on that robotic leg. I'm just marveling at it. The way it's got indents and things. Yeah, it's really a good figure. I think that a lot of people knock these because of the POA, but there's a lot of good detail going into these. When they came out with 5 POA, I remember Hasbro's panel. It was a tough sell. I would not have wanted to be up there on stage trying to sell that. But they said, yes, they're 5 POA, but they're going to be the best sculpted three and three quarter figures we've ever done. And that first wave they put out were not the best sculpted three and three quarter inch figures they've ever done. They were the first figures I actively was apathetic about buying because they were all characters we had and the characters we had of them looked better and posed better. But now they've lived up to that promise. It took them a little while to get there, but these are some of the best sculpted three and three quarter inch figures in the Star Wars line. No, I think they're very good. Now, if you want them to shoot, they again have to put out their arms mummified style, you know, zombie walk type thing, like they're in the thriller dance, but, and that's something they talked about trying to fix. They said they were trying to give more natural poses, a little bit of bend to the arms. Saw Gerrera has a little of it. The rest of them, they're all pretty stock straight out arms. But it does have a touch of nostalgia to it. Yeah. You know, this is the action figures poses that we played with as kids, right? Yeah. And I hate to say it, I'm not trying to be dismissive of those who are upset that there aren't articulated three and three quarter inch figures except for a few Walmart exclusives a year. But if you want really nice sculpts and articulation, it's six inches now. It's grown up. It's added a couple inches and that's where it's at. And... Hasbro's given no indication that they're able to support a line of highly articulated three and three quarter at mass retail. I wish they could, but if they can't, I'm enjoying the figures that they're giving here and taking them for what they are, which is honestly very low cost, good looking, very limited posability figures. But they're aimed both at collectors and kids. The collector in me loves the fact that they look this good. Saw is, again, he looks the best standing on a shelf. I don't think Saw needs to be super articulated. I didn't see him do some mad posing and rolling in the movie. When I was a kid, I didn't care that my stormtroopers had stocks. All right, I cared a little, even at five. I was like, that doesn't look like how Han Solo holds his gun. (laughs) But beyond that, I was pretty happy just playing with my figures back then. And I mentioned this is probably going to hit stores because Rogue One, it's out now on digital. It's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD Tuesday, April 4th. And I have three pre-orders in. I've got shipping notices on two of them. Walmart, they did the exclusive BB-8 slipcase for The Force Awakens. They're doing a K2SO cover for Rogue One. 
sticking with the droids. I like that they're sticking with the droids, and let's be honest, K2SO was pretty awesome because he was sassy. I'll be there for you. The captain said I have to. Exactly! (laughs) He's a jerk, but he's lovable. How could you not like that? Target has the strangest set of the bunch. They've been normally doing, like, these book style of DVD Blu-ray cases. Their exclusive has interchangeable covers, so it's got, like, seven different covers that you can just choose, which is... I'm going to say much better than selling seven different exclusives that you have to buy one with each cover. That is much nicer. That is very considerate of them. And if I were to only buy one copy, even though I do love my steelbooks, Target would be the one I buy because I'm all about the content and Target has a bonus disc in it. It's not a digital download like they've done in the past. It's actually a disc, which makes me very happy, that has a lot of making ofs inside the creature shop digital storytelling, so there's a couple other featurettes that you can only get at Target. That's really cool. I know you've been disappointed in the digital codes because it's not the same kind of experience as putting in a disc and watching all the exclusive content. Mostly I'm upset because that means it goes away. When Voodoo decides to take the featurette offline, I don't get to watch it anymore. I like having a disc that I can back up and be sure to have. It's an ownership thing. I understand that younger generations don't have this kind of attachment to media, but I have it. Best Buy is going to have their usual steelbook. And these are probably going to go fast. You know what? I said that about The Force Awakens, though. They shipped so many of those. They were readily available and even went on sale about a month after. Yeah, but with Steelbooks, you can never tell. And I really think if you can pre-order, do it. Burn the hand and all. I did pre-order. I just hope that that guy who every time there's a Marvel Steelbook stands outside Best Buy for them to open and buys every single one and then puts them on eBay. I'm not a scalper conspiracy theorist. I understand that when I can't find figures, sometimes it's just collectors like me like figures and buy them. But there is a guy who gets like almost every Marvel steelbook as soon as the store opens. I was second in line and got zero one time from this guy. I hope he bought a lot of the Force Awakens ones and had to lose some money on that. I guess he probably just waited 29 days and returned them. But Well, that's how you learned your lesson, though. Because I would always ask you, why don't you pre-order? Oh, it's okay, I'll go get it. Why don't you pre-order? I'll go get it. Pre-order! If you can do it, do it! I did pre-order. The one I didn't pre-order is the Disney Store exclusive. I didn't get that for The Force Awakens either. It's just got a few lithographs that come with it. It's a standard Blu-ray release. It just has an exclusive item with purchase. And I kind of hemmed and hawed on this one because it's $25, the standard Blu-ray price. But you also get $10 off a future purchase at the Disney store. And God knows with the elite figures and everything else, I spend money at the Disney store. So Mm -hmm. it comes down to $15 for the regular release plus the lithographs. I, I held off, but... No, that's okay. So if you aren't going to Celebration, you can certainly stay home and watch... Rogue One again, and I'll kind of envy you for doing so, because I need to get a few more watchings in under that so I can quote it a little better. Some other things you can do from home at Celebration, or if you want to avoid Celebration lines, a lot of the big panels are going to be simulcast online, including the opening ceremonies and, I believe, the Last Jedi panel, which I have a feeling the Last Jedi panel... They may block out some stuff if they do what they did during the Force Awakens panel at Celebration a couple years ago, where they're going to probably show a couple pieces of footage 
a trailer. We've been kind of waiting for a Last Jedi trailer. Mm-hmm. I bet that is shown, and they may not broadcast that, but then they'll release it online right after. And then there may be a behind-the-scenes footage thing like they had for Celebration that I guess they ended up releasing it online a month later or so. It's possible there could be some special guests, too. It, it's very likely you might see Daisy Ridley on the stage or John Boyega. Rain Johnson, the director's announced, and Kathleen Kennedy. It's going to be an exciting time. Also, I know the collecting panel, since our listeners are collectors, they're going to be trying to live stream those. So again, follow the collecting track on Twitter, join the collecting track Facebook group, and maybe you'll get a chance to see those. They may be archived for later or maybe just be broadcast live, but follow them. You might be able to see the collecting track panels like the one Daryl's doing. His panel is Star Wars Collecting, Social Media and Networking, and it takes place Friday at 6 to 7. So definitely come out, support one of the members of the Swan crew. Plus, it's going to be a really interesting panel. And then if you can't tour the floor yourself, be sure to like us on Facebook. Set it up for alerts when we do live videos. We're going to try to give a little bit of a heads up on them too. But there will be live booth tours and exhibit floor tours from the show Kind of like we did at Toy Fair. So if you like Star Wars Action News on Facebook, I prefer people to watch live because then you can ask me questions and I can find out answers. Or you can say, I want to see a close-up of this hot toy's face. Or I want to see exactly how tragic the Sarlacc Pit plushie looks from the side. But, I mean, if there's something you guys want to see, definitely let us know. I mean, even if it's like, hey, I heard there's something at this booth. Do you mind going and doing a quick video of this cool new product or something? Hey, let us know on Facebook or Twitter. We're here for you guys. And I will be definitely live tweeting the Hasbro panel, the High End Collectibles panel, the Delray book announcements panel. If they let us stream the video from the room, I will. They usually don't let us. So we will be posting all those updates then and letting you know what the upcoming announcements are. I expect, again, if they hold pattern, Hasbro won't have a whole lot to announce. Well, it's not that they won't have a whole bunch. A lot of times they can't because it's under embargo. I mean, we already got our big announcement at Toy Fair about the 40th anniversary figures, but it's a little too early for Last Jedi figures. Mm -hmm. So their hands are kind of tied on that. Usually because of how Lucasfilm likes to do it, we don't even officially know the first wave of figures until Force Friday. And it seems that every year around this time, they'll reveal one new movie figure that they're going to release early at Comic-Con. So I bet we get that announcement. Mm -hmm. Then at Comic-Con, again, going off previous years, I bet they announce a vehicle. The way they announce the big TIE fighter, the way they announce the Bluetooth ATACT. I bet we'll find out what their vehicle this year is. Maybe it's a hover tank. I got a pilot. That could be. So if you can't go to the convention or you can't make some of these panels... We're going to try to bring that experience to you as best we can. So our live podcast on Sunday will be broadcast. We'll be broadcasting other things live from the social lounge. We may even do a podcast beforehand in the social lounge, just talking more about the events, whereas our Sunday is going to be very time managed and talking about the collectibles. And we'll be live from the exhibit floor. Let us know and hopefully we bring you the convention experience without the sore feet. Yes. And that even means you can get some of the exclusives online. 
On our last show, we discussed the Kotobukiya exclusives. Those are no longer on sale, so you now need to go to the convention. But those were available online. But I think right now, the two hardest to get exclusives, the two most sought after exclusives, Funko and Lego. Yes, Lego has traditionally always been like a a lottery system where you go and you either get a ticket right away or you have to press an iPad screen and it'll tell you if you won or not. But this year they're doing a lottery just like Funko. So you enter the lottery for a chance to buy something. We don't know what those some things are yet. From Lego. From Lego. So enter the lottery, guys. Go to StarWarsCelebration.com. They will run it against the badge list. So if you don't have a badge, you're not going to be able to participate because obviously you're not there. Now, we were only able to say what the Lego exclusive was as of 11.30 a.m. on April 4th. So that's why this show came out a day later than I wanted it to. But Lego has revealed their exclusive. We've got pictures up on Facebook and Twitter. You know, I thought I'd be okay if I didn't win that Lego lottery. And now I don't think I'm going to be okay. I don't think a detention block has ever been this cute. It is a set of, and on paper it didn't sound that exciting, detention block AA23. And then when I actually got a chance to see the pictures they sent with Stormtrooper Luke and Stormtrooper Han with their removable helmets. It's a very small set. It's barely got room in it for the two minifigures. It's got 220 pieces, cost $40, only at Celebration. But with the cameras like they shot out up top and the Situation Normal panels there. Oh, (laughs) it's great. It is. It is like super adorable. And I really hope that I get a chance to buy this. Well, we've entered. Fingers crossed. Funko, they had a lottery also. They did the same thing. It closed at midnight on April 1st. And having done the Funko lottery before a few times, it actually works really well. It saves the booth crush. It saves people running up to their booth when they open. It's generally kind of a a good system. Is it a luck of the draw? Absolutely. But it kind of was before too. My feelings on this have evolved. I recall when we were brand new doing the show in 2006, 2007. We were noobs. Gentle Giant was doing lotteries and it made me so mad. Of course, the lottery was a better system than there. We're going to open the line and not even tell you when or where and if you're standing in the wrong area, which is how Funko has been at Comic-Con the past few years. too. Well, before they did the lottery, what happened was they would close off their booth and say, no one can buy anything. We're done. And then they'd go around just handing out tickets to people. But a lot of times people didn't know what the ticket was for. They weren't interested in buying things. So that really didn't work out well. I kind of like the lottery system. It's better than the crush. And having to worry about, am I going to get there fast enough? Can I run fast enough? There's no running in the convention center. Of course there's not. Wink, wink, nudge, yeah. nudge, say but no more. But as somebody who is often the person who gets jostled in a line or elbowed, I, I don't miss that aspect of it. And it seems like it's a fair way to do it. Yet. But, yes. If you don't win the lotto, you're SOL. And people who win the lotto... They are going to sell out of items, but... Uh, No, wait a second, though, Arnie. They do, because they sell usually in two blocks of time. You usually get, like, maybe a noon and then a three o'clock session. They have an allotment for the day. So if everybody buys the allotment at the noon session of a certain item, there's not available for the second session. Right. 
And I think there's something to be said for being the person who is dedicated enough to wait in line the longest, to be one of the first people on the floor, to be one of the first people at the Funko booth. That's a meritocracy, at least. But then people were gaming it, people with exhibitor badges would then flip over and have a regular attendee badge and be in line, or exhibitors would fill the lines before anybody could get there. You know, I like what one person on our Facebook page said is, why not make enough so everybody who wants one at the con can buy one? But then it's not really just an exclusive. No, it's exclusive to the con. Yeah. But then they may be left with overstock as well that they don't want. But it's important to note, I've read a couple of comments online People with the VIP badges, the Jedi Master badges, thinking, well, I'm good. I can just walk right up to Funko or Lego. No. They actually sent an email out saying that your VIP badge will not get you to those. It gets you in the celebration store, but as far as the other booths doing the stuff, it's up to the specific booth. And you do get on the floor early with a Jedi Master badge. However, it does not allow you a guaranteed winning ticket in either lottery. And there's no line for either one. So if you're getting onto the floor early and you're running right to the Funko or Lego booth, it's not going to work out for you because you won't be able to get in the line if you don't have a ticket. So whether you're at the con or whether you're at home, your best bet for some of these Funko exclusives, and God, there's a lot of them. There are. One of the things that Funko does is hit a lot of licenses, and they also share some of their exclusives with nationwide retailers. So, with that being said, Arnie's most coveted item, the Greedo Safubi 2-pack, is not currently reported to be shared with any retailer. So, we will cross our fingers and our toes and hope we get an entry into the lottery, and if not, maybe we can trade somebody or find it, and this is what you have to do sometimes to get your exclusives. They also have a Thrawn pop. That's going to be at Toys R Us. So you'll be able to pick that up. Toys R Us usually doesn't put their exclusives online for that, for the pops. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. This, I don't know if they will. Chances are, whatever day they say they're going to be released, it's usually that Saturday. You can probably show up just before they open, walk in, and buy your Thrawn. It may be Saturday. It may be. It could be Friday or Thursday, because what I've noticed with San Diego Comic-Con is it's always the first day of the con that they put them on the floor. Ah. So, since Celebration starts on Thursday, if you don't know for a fact, you may, if you can get off work and get there early on Thursday. Hot Topic is going to have three shared exclusives, Han Solo Stormtrooper Blaster, Chopper with the Blackhead, and Hoth Leia. And those are always online, and sometimes the night before. You want to keep a real eye on their site or join some Funko groups on Facebook and set alerts because they sell out fast. And a lot of times, if I find the link, I'll post it up on our Facebook page too, and you just have to sit and refresh. Now, usually these hit, I want to say, around 10 o'clock Pacific time, so adjust that accordingly. And again, this is past experience. This is not saying this is what's going to happen this time. The Hooded Jedi Luke is going to be at GameStop. Now, a lot of times at GameStop, you can pre-order your pops, even exclusives. So you might want to kind of mosey on over to your local GameStop and see if they'll hold one for you. They're very good about doing that with a $5 deposit. You can't do that on their website. You have to actually go to a store. And you cannot do it on the phone either. But they get you in the store and you buy stuff. The Holographic of Gwygon is going to be with Target. 
which is, oh, that's hit or miss. I will tell you, Target sometimes is hard. Sometimes I've never seen them at Target, and other times I've seen like 30 at one Target. But they again put them at Target.com. That's how you got your Golden Girls set. That is true. I'd also like to say, well, these aren't official. These are leaks from employees who've taken pictures of pop inventories and things like that that have been compiled by some people and some of the groups I belong to. So if some of these change, it's not the official word yet. These are strong, almost verified rumors that this is what's going to happen. But we do have some more exclusives that are not shared with stores. We've got a deluxe ray with a jacuzzi speeder, which I think is going to be the hottest one at the convention. I really want that. I like it when they do the vehicles in the pop line, and I think that's a great looking set. There's also a Gorindon. Now there's a 442nd Trooper, clone trooper. Now he's rumored to be at FYE. Now that's a rumor and not something I could find an actual photograph that anybody took. Now, if he is at FYE, we're going to talk about them in just a moment, but they had an Emerald City Comic Con shared exclusive of Muftak, and that was gone in a blink. There were no limits to how many people could buy. It was not online for more than a couple of minutes, and I did not get an order in. No. If this is actually to be shared with FYE, they do have a booth at Celebration, and if it's anything like what they had at New York Comic Con, they will have that in their own booth, FYE, as well as in the Funko booth. And I will tell you my experience at the FYE booth was way better and easier than the Funko booth. I didn't get the lottery at New York Comic Con, so I didn't get anything there, but I was able to pick up all of the shared exclusives. Yeah, if it's shared and the people are displaying, check that out. And speaking of the FYE booth, I mentioned Muftak. The Celebration website posted that FYE is going to have Muftak at this convention. So it was supposed to just be an Emerald City Comic Con slash FYE exclusive. Well, I guess it is an FYE exclusive, but they may be bringing it to the show. So if you missed out, like so many of us did, and you're going to Celebration, might have another shot there, assuming what Celebration is putting on their website is accurate. That's pretty exciting for a lot of people who missed out on that. And then there's a final Funko exclusive, kind of a flashback. I remember when I didn't buy the Funko exclusives because they'd have them and I'd be a completist and think, well, do I need every Star Wars item? If so, I need this really ugly Darth Vader wacky wobbler. And I never bought those. Well, they're still making wacky wobblers. This is a prototype Boba Fett wacky wobbler exclusive to the con. I can't decide if it or the Sofubis will sell slowest. Everybody's a pop collector. They are, and I will say that the Hikaris and Sofubis don't sell out as fast, I've noticed. I've seen a lot of exclusive Sofubis go really cheap after the con, so Mm -hmm. it's hit or miss, but they're Greedo. I gotta have them. I know you do. Now let's talk the other exclusives on the floor. No one has the same quantity as Funko, but there are some things you do want to pick up. The first thing that I really probably want to run over and get, the Pennsylvania Star Wars Collecting Club has a... BB-8 charity medallion that they're selling, and it's benefiting No Warrior Without Help, which is a charity that provides relief to military veterans in need. Pretty cool. It's got BB-8, and these are really good size, too. Don't think you're getting, like, a candy medallion or something like that. These are hefty. I've bought their medallions before. Yeah, they're silver dollar-ish. Now, Beast Kingdom is going to be there with an exclusive. It is their floating Millennium Falcon, but this one's chrome. Chrome silver, and... 
It looks really blingy. It is really shiny. I kind of like it when they do these chrome and metallic things. I think they're really pretty. If you've not seen this in person, don't have your eyes bug out just yet. It is five and a half inches across. So you're buying like a little desk thing. It's not like you're getting a giant floating Millennium Falcon that's the size of the old Master Replicas one. And this floats on magnets. And if it's anything like its non-chrome counterpart, it'll be somewhere in the $200 range. I don't know if I need a chrome Falcon. I didn't know if I needed a chrome Stormtrooper helmet, but that is FX Collectibles exclusive for this convention. They did do a partial pre-sell online and it sold out, which I'm really glad that you hopped on and got one because I found it to be very pretty. It's such a big item. I mean, this is a prop replica Stormtrooper helmet that they've chromed and I didn't want to have to carry that at the convention. I didn't want to have to ship it at the convention. I didn't want to risk not getting one. It's limited to 500 pieces. So I did order it. It sold out real quick. It was $479. Now, I was on the fence on this because I'm not all in on prop replica helmets. And this one, it's not screen accurate. It's chrome. But you were the one who said you wanted it. I just said it was really pretty. I kind of like shiny things. I'm a girl. Speaking of Stormtroopers, we are having new Hallmark exclusives, a Macquarie Stormtrooper Hallmark keepsake ornament. Now there's one we're getting on the floor a half hour early is going to help because yes. those are always a long line at the beginning of the day. They set aside so many per day and when they're out, they're out. Now they're doing something new with their itty bitty exclusives this year. They're on a card and they're in a bubble and it's really cute. And they're doing two vintage ones. They're going to have Hammerhead and Snaggletooth. And these are super awesome on their vintage card. It is just amazing. Now they're going to have Red Snaggletooth on the vintage card back, but you can also buy the blue Snaggletooth loose. Yeah, since he came with that Sears set, they did not do what General Giant did and just fake a card. Now, they're also going to have a commemorative poster and button set designed by a Hallmark artist, and it's going to be limited well. And then they always have little buttons they give out, and they're going to have actual other things for sale in their little store, which is something they don't normally do. And keep an eye out, because I've seen posts that there are going to be more itty-bitties on vintage cards, possibly at Celebration and other booths, possibly in the Hallmark store or online, maybe at San Diego and New York Comic Con, so keep an eye out for that. Gentle Giant revealed to Premier Guild members their new exclusives, and wow, is their Premier Guild confusing this year. I know a lot of people are wondering what's going on with it. I will say I, I tried to figure it out, and I had to watch a video, and it repeated all the content on each video to see each tier, and I wish they'd just spell it out for me and say, if you're platinum, you're this. And maybe that's coming, maybe? They'll listen to feedback? Well, I'll tell you, for these exclusives if you're not in the premier guild you did not get the notice and if you're platinum you get to pre-order on wednesday if you're gold you pre-order on thursday if you're silver and they have some left you pre-order on friday hmm. or you take your luck at the con i have not enrolled in the premier guild they just started it up some people enrolled late last year and it was supposed to be a one-year membership and General Giant said, oh, no, every Premier Guild membership ended last Friday. You've got to sign up again if you want to get these exclusives with this new program. And also based upon the tiers determines how many of the rewards you get. It was buried, but I did a, some searching. And on General Giant's blog, they have a table. 
Now, I'm not going to go into the quarterly raffles the from the vault raffle and pick a bust fan vote because that just means you're paying for a chance of winning something. But for what you will be getting, if you're a silver member, you get 5% off, $10 off coupon, and a grab bag. So you no longer get the mini bust at the basic tier. But okay. I think the basic tier was 80 before. It's 50 now. But you do get to order the exclusives early. But you're the last yes. group of Premier Grilled people that need to get it. If you're a gold member, you're $100. You get 10% off non-exclusive items. Does anyone buy directly from General Giant? I don't buy from General Giant. I buy from Big Bad Toy Store, Entertainment Earth. But other than exclusives, I don't see myself shopping there much. But with that, you get one mini bust or one jumbo figure. Now, there's six exclusives this time around, but you get one of them included with that price, but not the statue. For the platinum member, you get two mini busts, or one mini bust and one jumbo figure, or the statue. Is there a Vizio chart on this? I feel like somebody flow charted it and was like, this is easy! <laughs> And then you get 15% off. And they've revealed all the statues and busts. And as for what the exclusives are, honestly, none of their exclusives really thrilled me that much. I think the thing that would get me off the sidelines is the Obi-Wan A New Hope, maybe, mini bust. But now I think I'm going to have to sign up because they're celebration exclusives. I have every McQuarrie concept mini bust they've done. And now they're doing the Han Solo, as he originally looked, holding a lightsaber that was white, fully bearded, looking a little Lucchese in there, and wearing a purple cape. Well, we all know that purple capes are the best, right? Well, I think it's a good reproduction of that art, and there's a lot of detail. There's something about the face that makes me less than excited for this mini bust, but the completist in me really wants it. What's wrong with the face? can't figure it out if it's that his lips are too high and he has too much space below his lip before it gets to the beard or if it's the scowl or if it's the hairdo that seems to like poof out from the headband and yet still goes straight up <laughs> i can't decide but below the neck it's a gorgeous mini bust then their other exclusive they've announced and I'm not really into the jumbo figures. I got the Greedo. I got the Han and Carbonite exclusive. But yet, part of me really wants this jumbo Dianoga. He comes in a box that's completely unique because, of course, the Dianoga came with the Death Star. But it's packaged in vintage-inspired foam trash. I want to pay $150 for a membership so I can get foam trash. There's something really wrong with me. <laughs> I'm not going to pre-order the Dianoga. I'm actually tempted to not pre-order either and to make it a decision later on which Premier Guild membership I get because I'll definitely need to for Comic-Con. The only reason I join now is then they'll ship it to me for 15 bucks versus having to ship it myself. But I think that you'll be kicking yourselves if you don't get it. Yeah. Isn't I don't it, think that's going to be a problem. Isn't this a shared exclusive though with San Diego? Yeah, it is shared, so I will have a second go at this, or I can just knock it out now. I don't know. I would go for the option where you can have it shipped to you. Even though that means spending 100 or $150 now? 
I don't know. Don't you operate under a bird in the hand? To be determined at another time. Now, we already mentioned last week Mattel has the Biggs Dark Lighter car. Nissan is going to be at Celebration with an exclusive car you can drive home. I'm kidding. But I'm sure they'd love it if you bought it. But we talked on the show quite a while back about how there was an exclusive Death Trooper helmet keychain that you got if you bought the Nissan Rogue One Rogue. Because that sounds fair. Buy an expensive car, get a keychain. Sounds like a joke from an 80s movie I can't place, where like you got a BMW logo keychain because you bought the car. If somebody can remember that movie, write to me and I'll send you some celebration swag. (laughs) First person who can remind me what movie that was. But now if you wanted that keychain... They're going to have a thousand a day. Now, that's quite a lot. It is. I think that if you hit them first off and just go through that line, you could probably get it. Now, the question is, is this going to be like a gift card in Vegas where you have to sit through a presentation about the Nissan Rogue (laughs) to get the keychain? I kind of bet it is. Yeah, I wonder if you have to do something to get it. Maybe give them your email address so they can start mailing you about new Nissans. Yeah. Twink is also going to have a limited edition pin, but it looks like they're also putting them online at twink.com. Also, there's a thousand of them. They're $10. It's a Darth Vader. Kind of an odd gamble into the exclusives. Twink is a really good company, though. I have bought a number of gifts for Arnie from their high-end collectibles back then in the day when they had like Code 3 and stuff, and they're pretty good. They're based in the Midwest. I believe they're out of Chicago even. Yeah, I think so. I've bought from them directly as well. It hasn't been all gifts. Mm-hmm. Now, something that's got Daryl clamoring to get onto the floor quickly, Think Geek is going to have a Job of the Hut and Salacious Crumb Tiki set. It is super cute. I love that the Salacious Crumb Tiki cup is like super tiny. I had no idea until Loot Crate sent some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle tikis that there were tiki fanatics. Like, the way some people collect every Funko Pop, some people are nuts over geeky tiki. I'm kind of thinking we might need geeky tikis for the pool this summer. Just FYI. Now, for those of you who, like me, collect the comic books that are action figures by John Tyler Christopher, and if you haven't, check out Marvelicious Toys on YouTube because I got a chance to talk to John last year at New York Comic-Con. Great chat with him about these variant action figure covers. It's one of the best interviews I've had just in my life of podcasting, because he was really just such a great person telling his stories about how he does this and his work with Hasbro. But there is going to be an exclusive Rogue One number one action figure comic there featuring Jin Erso, Imperial Stormtrooper, and Death Squad Commander. It's like a mail-away set like they did in the vintage days. That's going to be at the Wonder World comic booth, booth 1332. I have got to get that. I cannot walk away from this convention without that. If I buy one thing at this con, that has to be it. Hasbro's going to have their X-Wing Luke in the 40th anniversary packaging. We got some more details. When we did the podcast last time, we're like, where will this be sold? Well, Hasbro is going to be at booth 2744, and they are selling it themselves. What else might they be selling? I don't know. It could be just that. They did that at Celebration Europe in Germany. It could be like they did at previous celebrations, though. They did this with the vintage collection, I remember, where you could just buy a case of the vintage collection figures, even though they weren't exclusive. Hard to find figures you could buy by the case. Might they be selling sets or cases of the 40th anniversary collection? If so, I'd buy. I'm just guessing, but 
at least you'll be able to get this nice foil embossed X-Wing Luke. And also, speaking of that 40th anniversary collection, the R5-D4, which brings us to 14 figures, has gone up for sale at GameStop.com too. And finally, I mentioned on our last show that Del Rey is going to have an exclusive copy of Timothy Zahn's Thrawn, an exclusive cover at Celebration. Well, this also is going to be a gateway into this mad, crazy celebration pin trading program because the first people to get that book also get this really cool, red-eyed, blue-skinned Grand Admiral Thrawn pin. And there's a lot of these pins that are exhibitor exclusives. It's hard to get in the Funko booth at all, but if you want the Kylo Ren pin, that's where you get it is at Funko. Ouch. (laughs) The Hera pin... Gentle Giant, the Snowtrooper pin is at FX Collectibles, the Greedo pin is at Kotobukiya, and I have to have that Greedo pin, although it shows him in a more action-y scene than he ever had. I guess <laughs> if you go off the cartoons, he had some action. Finn with a lightsaber is at the Sphero booth, Zeb is at the Think Geek booth, and then there's just a ton that are at the show's store, blind-packed, including... I have a feeling I'm going to be buying a lot of blind-packs. Somebody wants a Jar Jar. Yeah, somebody does want a Jar Jar pin. Somebody may have to have more than one Jar Jar pin. Somebody may be trading things for Jar Jar pins. And speaking of the pins, the official Celebration store has put out a list. It may not be comprehensive. I've seen some people going, there's no magnets. We didn't know about some of the magnets until we got there, at least in... Orlando last time. There were surprises that were not listed. I remember standing there like, did we know about this? I gotta have this. Well, there's also big empty blocks on the pictures they put out. So it's like picture, picture, block, picture, picture. That makes me think that they're inserting other things into the list here. Or they have a web designer that is crazy. CSS may not be his first language. Exactly. But there are a few things that I maybe would want to pick up. Arnie, you're going to get the Last Jedi shirt because, well, you got the Force Awakens shirt. I had no idea. I actually wore the Force Awakens shirt, and now I saw that it just, like, skyrocketed in value. I'm kicking myself for putting it in a washing machine. So, yes, I'll be getting and packing away the Last Jedi shirt. Most of their exclusives are what would fall into the durable goods category. Yes, there are a gazillion t-shirts that you could buy. That's been the case ever since Reed Pop took over. Remember, like, the first time in Orlando, the first time Reed Pop ran it, and we went, and we were just stricken by how many shirts they had. In the past, there used to be, like, two or three shirts, and we'd buy every shirt. But starting with Reed Pop, they're like, we can print shirts quick. <laughs> we're going to put out a lot of designs. And I like some of them. I think that the... Rogue One teaser poster shirt that is a print that goes almost from neckline to waistline is really cool looking. And then there's some that I just aren't for me, like the Porkins Barbecue t-shirt. Yeah, that one's kind of strange. I do like some of these 40th anniversary shirts. I just like the 40th anniversary logo with the big round O. Yeah, I do like that. I was kind of toying with the Raglan sleeve shirt, which is the one with the red sleeves, or the football jersey. There's a red sparkly version for women, which I guess guys could wear too if you want to wear it. 
Men can sparkle. Men can definitely sparkle. I know many men who sparkle. I don't know. I'd have to see it in person. If it's just sequins, that's going to be a hand-washing nightmare. It doesn't look like sequins to me. It looks like glitter paint. We'll have to look at it and see. I really wasn't too interested in too many of the shirts. No. The hello, my name is FN2187 crossed out and says Finn. You know, there's a shirt here for everybody. I'm going to put that positive spin on it, Mm -hmm. which also means... There are shirts here that will not be for everyone. If you go, each shirt is going to be. You can't please all of the people all of the time. I think there's some great ones. I think there's some really weird ones, like the pocket shirts. Yeah, not too into those. Maybe it's just not my style. I mean, I like to think I'm fashionable, but maybe that's a fashion that's not for me. I was kind of jazzed by their Italian T-shirt. They've got that with the Japanese shirt. Yeah, those two are very cool. I know those are your taste. Like I love the foreign Star Wars items. We went to Canada, you bought a French Star Wars shirt. I did, and- yeah. There's a hat with the 40th anniversary logo, which is kind of cool. It's not too bad. There's a Medal of Yavin lanyard if you wanted to do that. You're going to see me sporting that. I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm getting this lanyard. Okay. And I'm going to be wearing my badge with it, and so will hundreds of other lemmings. I might do that too then. I do like the Panda Baba oven mitts. I want to see those in person because quite obviously the picture they have on their site is a previs graphic. Yes. There's the previously mentioned, I'm not going to say what it looks like, Sarlacc Pit plushie. It kind of looks like pizzas I made when I was 12. I don't know what kind of pizzas you were making. There's a Sandcrawler plushie, which I'm hoping looks better than in the photo I'm looking at. It's interesting. Yeah. They're also trying to get in on the Tsum Tsum and the Itty Bitty craze. They've got little round beanies of BB-8. That one makes sense. A BB-8 beanie. There's Boba Fett. There's Darth Vader. There's Chewbacca that looks like an extreme close-up, and he just looks like a mad dog or a vampire. I, yeah, I think I'm going to have to stay away from those, if that's okay. You know, they have some witty things like Jabba's Palace, pint glasses, and Outlander's Club, things like that. You know, those are kind of cool. I like when they try to make it restaurant-themed. You know, we've seen so many of this style in the past. One of the first I ever saw is when Gus Lopez did it for his collection, the Boba Cabana. So I think that I'm not buying these because I don't want to transport glass and I have a lot of Star Wars pint glasses. We drink out of them almost constantly, but they're kind of cool. Well, I'm not getting, there's these minimalist posters and they were also on t-shirts, but the t-shirts have all three original trilogy movies. There's A New Hope, Empire, Jedi, but the posters... There's only Empire and Jedi. I want the New Hope poster. This feels like an error to me. Like, there's no way they wouldn't do the A New Hope one. I even went into the page's source code to see if somebody's CSS hid that square accidentally, and it's not where I can see. Now, this could be, you know, a PHP or scripting page that's generated on the fly and they screwed up there. I'm certainly getting both of these posters, but I would be rather mad if they don't also put the A New Hope one in that. Why, would, why wouldn't why would they? I think I'm going to get to the store and just get all three. Yes, I agree. I think that's the way to go. Then they're going to have also the pins and patches. And I bet there's other tchotchkes coming that we just don't know about because they have a lot of tchotchkes usually. Yeah, there's always stuff you don't know is going to be there. When we went to Europe, we didn't know about the soccer balls. You know, there's just 
stuff they don't announce ahead of time. And of course, the one collectible. There's only one item every U.S. celebration we've been to, which is two through now. I've always gotten the official poster. And I kind of like the key art poster for this one that spans all seven movies. I'm looking to see if there's anything Rogue One in there. If there is, I'm not seeing it. So it's all seven of the Skywalker saga. And it's this brown like they're doing with the badges and... The sepia tones. Yeah, I like this poster. I think more than any poster Reed Pop has done since taking over. The others I've gotten and put in tubes. This one I'm going to be racing to hang. So that's the list of what we know so far. Again, follow us on Facebook, Twitter. We're going to be posting more as we find out any others that are coming. And of course, the exclusive we talked about quite a bit on the last show, all of the art prints in the Celebration Art Show. And we got a chance to talk to... Brian Miller and Joe Caroni, a couple of the artists there with some really cool pieces. So welcome to the show, guys. Joining us now are a couple of artists from Celebration, Joe Caroni and Brian Miller. Hello, guys, and welcome. Hey. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. I have a history with both of you guys and your art with Star Wars. Joe, I was looking back and... I realized you were the very first print I ever bought of any art at any convention ever at Celebration 3. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You had that exclusive with Anakin and the lava, and I absolutely, Mm -hmm. that was the first print where I'm like, I have to have that in my collection. And you were doing a signing on the last day. That is awesome. Yep. I remember that print well. That was uh, my episode three exclusive art show print for Celebration 3 in Indianapolis. So that would have been 2005. So So you've been at this a long time. (laughs) Yeah, I I started doing Star Wars art uh, officially. I mean, I've I've been drawing Star Wars since I was four years old when I saw the movie in 1977. But officially, I've been doing it since 1996. I started doing Star Wars art for uh, Lucasfilm on some of the, the, the Star Wars role-playing game. So doing lots of, like, illustrations uh, back before the special editions had, had even come out just yet. So Wow, and Brian, what about you? What was your background of getting into Star Wars art? How did you uh, come to do this? Well, I got my start in comic books, and uh, I'm originally from the Midwest, so I went to lots of Comic-Cons all over Kansas City, Chicago Con, and I went to uh, Mid-Ohio Con one year, and a mutual friend, Justin Chung, introduced me to Joe Caroni. And Joe had a great setup there, and he had some cool art on his table, and I think in his portfolio were some just amazing Star Wars illustrations. So we kind of hit it off as friends back then, but it would probably be another five or ten years before we worked together. So we sort of each had our own independent journeys where we're both working in comic books and see each other at comic conventions and things, but we never had an opportunity to work together. And finally, I think Joe had some pages going on for Dark Horse and some trading cards for Tops, And he asked me if I'd like to do the coloring on his artwork. And I was thrilled to do it. A uh, huge Star Wars fan. And as much as I like all the superhero projects that I work on, the uh, opportunity to work on Star Wars, I just I couldn't say no. So I, I colored a lot of Joe's artwork for Tops and really kind of cut my teeth on that. And then uh, because of Joe, Tops was nice enough to invite me to start doing some sketch cards for them as well. And that led to fans starting to to follow me and 
ask for me to draw certain characters and things. And so it was kind of a real, I don't know, he's the Jedi master and I just, I've been the Padawan learner. I've, I've been uh, <laughs> lear- learning from him and inspired by him since day one. And it's been really fun to get to, to this will be, I guess, our third Star Wars celebration, sharing booth space together and selling together and just hanging out and having a great time and talking Star Wars. And the process of getting in to the art show at Celebration, I know it's a little bit arduous. I've read many artists discuss kind of their journey there. The fact that you guys are doing it together and sharing booth space, but you had to apply separately, right? And there were the requirements you had to be a Star Wars artist already in good standing and such? Well, first they test your midichlorians. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, Brian and I had a really high midichlorian count. Not quite Master Yoda high, but it was up there. And um, they said, yeah, you know, you guys, you're Star Wars artists. You're working with the license currently. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what it takes. You have to be a published artist and having done worked on official Star Wars products before, I think, they uh, consider you for an application. And then, um, you know, once they open the the application process up, as long as you meet some of the requirements, some of the basic requirements, having, you know, being a Star Wars artist, working on the property. And at that point, they uh, accept applications. And then based on your, um, I guess, your credentials, then you move on to the next stage and they, they allow you to submit a concept. So from that point, you know, they, they look at a lot of concepts and then they have to narrow it down. I imagine from hundreds of submissions, probably to 30 or 40 concepts, I think that, that I'm not sure how many end up going through, but usually about that many. And then, uh, and then that's, you know, so it's not easy. (laughs) I mean, even though I've been at every celebration pretty much so far, it's, it's I'm always thinking like, man, I wonder, you know, I better <laughs> I better really bring my A game or, you know, I may not uh, make the cut. So you kind of learn to know what to look for uh, or you kind of learn to know what they are looking for. And then you you tend to tailor your submissions and your concepts. And, you know, once you do Star Wars art, as long as me and Brian have, you, you kind of get an idea for for what's going to work, what doesn't work, what they what they might want to see. So all that helps in the end. Joe, your piece is called I Rebel, and it's a really great and powerful Jen Urso print. There's not a lot of Rogue One being represented in Artist Alley this time. What made you pick to do this piece? Well, that was kind of my idea going into the art show with Rogue One being a brand new... I, I mean, honestly, I'm surprised there wasn't more Rogue One related prints. I thought there might be a few more. You know, I think we, we were all terrified of it because the film hadn't come out yet. Right. None of us had seen it. So it, it was a very scary proposition to come up yeah. with something Rogue One as a concept, not even really knowing you know, what was going to happen with the film, not seeing it, not, not knowing the plot. So I think a lot of us were excited about Rogue One. But in the end, it took someone like Joe, who's sort of got that, that Jedi master level of, of understanding of the universe to to dive in and do something as cool as he did. So, Joe, you submitted this concept before the movie was out? Right. The concepts were due back in early December, so the movie didn't come out till December, mid-December, December 19th, I think, or, so, or 18th, 
So what was your thought when you saw Rogue One and the line, I rebel, was cut? Well, right. Well, see, I didn't have to title the print necessarily until... You know, the the concept didn't necessarily need a title at that point. So, I mean, we can often change the title or add the title later. Uh, it was more just the artwork, which was being judged. But I, granted, I didn't know that the line was going to be cut. And that was always my intention to, to name the artwork that um, as kind of like a, uh, you know, because the character is very defiant and very heroic. So I wanted to kind of capture that with my artwork and that particular scene. I wanted to do my sort of uh, artistic uh, license uh, interpretation of that moment on Jetta where Jen and, and Cassian are fighting the stormtroopers. So, but I, I thought, you know, like that line really struck a chord with me as it did with a lot of people. So a lot of people were probably shocked it was cut, but I decided to keep it once I saw the movie and the movie had come out. And I thought, well, you know, it, it's kind of cool to keep that as the title because, you know, not everyone's going to necessarily remember that that was a cut line uh, and, and equate it that way to the art. But then the people that do equate it, though, it, it's a nice callback to something that was a very cool moment that was kind of lost in the marketing and in the early cuts of the film. But I thought, well, if I keep the title, it'll, it'll sort of in a little way it'll it'll keep that intact for fans you know it'll keep that cool little moment uh it'll harken back to that to those early trailers and it'll kind of keep the uh it'll just yeah just keep that moment a part of rogue one in some small way basically did you do all of the art or did brian did you color that print so no, this was, one's all joe all right. the master brian and i often do work together so um in the past, you know, Brian, God, we've done so many comic book covers together. We've done a lot of Star Wars art together where he's colored a lot of my work. But um, before I started working with Brian, I used to color my work all the time. And then, like Brian was saying earlier, it just got it got to the point where I was taking on so many projects and overlapping projects and working for Dark Horse and Tops and IDW. And, and it got to the point where it's like, you know, like I need someone I could be more productive if I found someone to help me color some work and. I had already known Brian, so now I'm I'm working digitally, like fully digitally with a lot of my stuff. So the last couple of years, I've just been mostly doing my own thing, and and Brian's doing his own thing with his Star Wars work, and he's producing some really great stuff for Acme Archives and Dark Eagart. Yeah, Brian, you've been doing these propaganda posters for a while. How how did you come upon this concept? It's really caught fire. Well, first of all, I mean, Joe has definitely did some propaganda art in the past with Star Wars for some tops trading cards. And that was definitely inspirational to me for sure. But I've always been inspired by vintage and retro and things from the past, like propaganda art, old travel posters, different styles of art, even as far back as like Art Nouveau, just all that sort of stuff really influences me. And and I just try to let that inform my artwork. So when the opportunity came along to create my very first Star Wars fine art illustration, uh, it was for something called the uh, Acme Alliance event. And uh, Joe did a really cool piece and some other people were doing some, some amazing illustrations. And I, I kind of thought, well, what, what can I bring to the table? What can I do that's a little bit unique and different? And I, I kind of got this idea to do this Hoth inspired propaganda poster with ad ads and so that one was called Crush the Rebellion. And I still remember turning it into the art director. And he was like, you know, this is cool, but I don't know if Lucasfilm is going to go for this or not. It's really different than a lot of the stuff we do. 
And I was like, well, it's, it's my first thing. If they don't like it, I understand. And so everybody was a little apprehensive and we were really excited that it sold out in like 10 days. And I often say like, when it comes to star Wars fans, they're, they're the best fans and they tell Lucasfilm what they like and what they want. And so the fans have really given me my career because by uh, supporting the artwork and letting Lucasfilm and Acme archives and dark and Kark know that they like the propaganda art and some of the different styles that, that I've, I've done for star Wars, then that sort of helps, helps me to do more because, uh, you know, if otherwise they'd say, well, this is too far outside of the normal, you know, star Wars art. We don't like it, but luckily that's not what happened. So that was sort of the inspiration and the launch pad. And so, you know, for, since then I've, I've experimented with some other propaganda art and some vintage travel posters and just different themes, but I feel like I've sort of figured out my own style and my own look. And I'm such a fan of like old print making that I I've been lucky to get to, to create some silk screens and work and some, I haven't got to do like a woodblock print for star Wars yet, but I have definitely something I aspire to do in the future. So just trying to bring a little bit of that handcrafted handmade approach uh, to the artwork, even though a lot of it is created digitally. So it's like that juxtaposition between uh, the vintage and the the heritage and the modern. Most people are used to seeing art done by computers and yours is silkscreen. Can you tell us a little bit about how that works and what goes into it? Sure. So, you know, every one of my illustrations starts with a pencil sketch. I have this like sketchbook that I carry with me everywhere. My wife's an archaeologist, so we travel around a lot. And so I've always got my sketchbook and I just doodle and make little thumbnail sketches all the time. And when it's time for me to submit a concept or I have a, a, an idea that I think is a good idea, I'll jump on my iPad and take that look at my pencil sketch and then start to take that to like a final illustration. And what I have to do is draw my illustration. And then when I add the color, create like a layer for each color, because the way silk screens work is there's an actual screen for each color of ink. So it's, it's very much like the screen you might have on like a storm window or something, except for it's really, really fine. And each space between the screen is almost like a pixel on a computer. Only it was, you know, something that was invented, I don't know, 50, hundred years ago or long before then. So if there, if it's a three ink silk screen or a seven ink silk screen, there will be uh, one screen for each color of ink. And that screen is laid down on the paper. The ink is squeegeed across the screen and then it's lifted up that piece has to dry completely before then the next screen and the next color of ink can go down. So it's a little bit of a handcrafted process. One of the things I like about it is that even if we have a limited edition of say 200 pieces or 250 pieces, each one looks the same, but there might be subtle little things that are different about it. Maybe, you know, a a little bit of a yellow ink overlaps a blue ink, or there's a, a little just slight variation or slight offset so that each piece almost becomes its own original, which to me is part of the fun of it. Now, I've had to deal with silk screening a little bit, you know, when we do custom t-shirts for celebrations and things. So it sounds like that process is identical there. So you're limited to a seven color palette when you do these? Um, I don't know that I'm limited per se. I, I uh, you know, most of the artwork that I do tends to be between th- three and five colors. Sometimes it could be seven, it could be 13, it could be whatever. But to me, the, the, the fun part is, is creating the halftones. And that's the, the part that fools the eye and harkens back to the old printmaking. Um, if you've seen some of the old, especially the French posters from, 
say the 1800s, they used a lot of stone block printing techniques, but it's really similar in application to silk screening in that there could be, say, three colors of ink, but with half tones, you can create little dots or patterns that then can fool the eye into seeing shades of color that aren't really there. So that can create like the illusion of blending, the illusion of color mixing. So from, you know, two foot or three foot away, it might appear to be this gorgeous full color illustration. But when you step up close and get within a couple of inches, you you realize that, oh, it's only two or three colors. And then my eye is being fooled into seeing all these variations. So it's it's sort of a little bit of a uh, art and science combined that I, I geek out over and really enjoy. Yeah, it definitely looks really awesome on the one you're doing for Celebrations Orlando with the explosion you have in the Death Star Trench having all that shading you're talking about in the trench itself having kind of the basic greenish gray, but then a lot of different shadows that create different illuminations through that method. Thank you. I, You know, that scene, I knew I wanted to, my illustration concept to be about the 40th anniversary of the original release of Star Wars in 1977. And I've seen the movie lots of times, but I want to go back and watch it again and again just to refresh myself and, and, and choose my favorite, well, one of my favorite moments, something I thought was iconic. And as I watched the trench run, I, I always loved the part where Han Solo comes back to, to save Luke. But I realized that you see Luke with Darth Vader and the TIE fighters behind him. And you see Han Solo blast one of the TIE fighters, but you never actually see the X-Wing and the TIE fighters and the Millennium Falcon all in one composed shot. So I had that like spark, that little moment, that aha moment. I thought that's what I want to draw. I want to put all of those things into one composed illustration. So that was like the jumping off point. So it was really fun to, to get to draw the ships and, and the explosion and sort of geek out about it. I even hand drew the Star War, the old retro Star Wars logo and the lettering and everything because I just wanted it all to be kind of handcrafted. And then on the trench run itself, if I know you're probably looking at the illustration now, that's really only two colors. So the illusion of depth is through all that half toning that I was talking about. And to me, that's it takes like days to to draw and set that stuff up, but it's worth it in the end when you when you see that final illustration when it's printed as a silk screen. Because it, it it gives you that depth, it it fools the eye and that illusion that the 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 X wing is coming right out at you. It's bursting right out of the illustration and coming coming right into your room. So it's it's that weird thing, like I was saying, where I I geek out over Star Wars, but I also geek out over the sort of crafting of the artwork too. That is awesome, and yeah, your piece is a little bit different because you're doing a twelve by twenty four, so it's kind of like a banner. And I love how you have the white frame around it. But you break it. The word Star Wars comes out, but then so do the guns on the X-Wings S-foils there. That is just, I, I really like this piece a lot. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, the white border, I mean, it was almost by accident. I, As I was sketching, I thought, oh, I wonder if I could make it look like the X-Wing is, is coming out of the illustration. And I thought, oh, if I, I push that border back in tighter, I can do that. And then, like you said... The next logical step was the, oh, well, let's have the Star Wars logo break it too. And so it ends up being almost like you can almost imagine it like a shadow box or something like it's, you know, pieces stacked on top of each other. So it's a uh, it's nice when when the little sparks of ideas all actually work out. 
Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, if you remember the first trailers for the special editions, where it was showing you the space battle of this, you know, it was the Death Star fight on a little TV, and then the X-Wing flies out of the TV and breaks that border and fills the whole screen. That's kind of what this is reminding me of. That's right. I remember that. Well, you know, I, I just, I wanted this poster, like I said, it's my love letter to Star Wars, and I really wanted it to feel like it could have been something that was made in 1977, but hopefully still feel fresh. So the idea is that you and I both know Star Wars. We love Star Wars. We know what the original posters look like, but maybe you have someone come over to your house that that isn't a big Star Wars fan, and they might just look at that on your wall and be like, oh, that's cool. Where'd you get that original poster? You know, and think it's something vintage that you you picked up somewhere. So you know, hopefully it's it's got that sort of vibe and that feel to it. And to go from the first movie to the most recent movie, Joe, with your Rogue One piece, can you talk a little bit about your process in developing it? Because your likenesses here of the actors there, Cassian and Jin, is just absolutely amazing. Oh, thanks. Well, my the whole impetus of my idea was going in, I knew Rogue One, was going to be great so i wanted to do something rogue one related for my print and then once i saw the trailers and once i got access to some material on the movie i i started to formulate an idea that i wanted to do a really cool straight up just action scene a lot of reference definitely involved because uh you know because of my realistic style that i paint in it's a very uh, commercial illustration style where I'm dealing with likenesses and I'm dealing with uh, a lot of uh, details that I need to get accurate, you know, for that kind of photorealistic looking artwork. So uh, it was just a, a process, uh, a style that I had been sort of evolving to for years. I mean, my comic art uh, started out in the very beginning, very cartoony, but I kept pushing for realism in my work. I kept pushing for cinematic style storytelling which a lot of comic books are, you know, very cinematic in style. So um, I kept pushing that in my work. And then the work I was doing with Brian was getting more photo real and more photo. And I was I was wanting to make it look, you know, as uh, as accessible and and realistic and, and fun as I could. So um, with the Rogue One stuff, I'm just uh, working from photos. I'm painting over photos. I'm, I'm shooting reference of... Like some of the costumes, like like for Cassie, an example, I didn't really have reference from Lucasfilm. Um, well, I mean, at least good, good, clear shots of what his wardrobe looked like in that angle. So pretty much I had to assemble lots of different photo references from uh, I took some photographs at Comic-Con in, in San Diego last summer. They had a big Rogue One display uh, at the Lucasfilm Pavilion, so I was shooting a lot of photo reference. Now, granted, at the time, I didn't know I was going to be doing a Rogue One print, but the way that my the way that my mind works is whenever whenever I'm at these events, whether it's a Comic Con or a Star Wars event, and if there's Star Wars reference and costumes and props, I just start taking as many pictures as I can because I know that reference will come in handy eventually. Because I'm always working on Star Wars projects, so I've, I'm constantly my mind is constantly in Star Wars mode. So at Comic-Con, I took all these reference shots of the costumes from Rogue One, which were on display. And then once it came time months later to come up with a print concept, and I knew I needed to put Cassian in my art, but I didn't have the right reference from Lucasfilm, and I didn't have 
you know, from the trailers that had been released, I couldn't really make out what, you know, what the costumes looked like exactly. But, you know, luckily I had, you know, some photo reference I had taken earlier and I applied that to my art and I used that to draw and paint from. So it's just a matter. My my final is um, it's a digital, fully painted digital illustration done almost entirely in Photoshop with a little bit of painter in there. Painter is another uh, uh, art program uh, which I use on the Mac. So it's many many hours of digital painting and <laughs> reference and ingenuity to sort of put together that scene. Yeah, I I really like you talk about the comic book style of art. And it's something I've really noticed, you know, in the past decade or two is the ability to add like lens effects that you get when you start working digitally, like the way you have the stormtroopers near frame kind of out of focus. Like mm-hmm. you'd have a, a low depth of field here with Jen Cassian and K2SO in the sharp focus and then everything blurred behind them and in front of them. It really does give this a cinematic aspect. I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, that was, again, I'm sort of, now that I'm working fully digital, you know, completely digital and I'm, I'm pushing some new effects and I've learned a lot from working with Brian on, on our cover artwork and that we've worked on for years. So I'm always kind of learning and experimenting and because my style is realistic, I guess I want the atmosphere of the scene to sort of basically hold up with the style of my art. So when I'm painting realistically, I'm like, you know, I can't, I can't necessarily, if I'm going to give this artwork any depth, I, you know, to make it feel realistic or come to life, you know, I, I can't really be as detailed on these troopers. So then I tend to blur them and, and not paint as much detail and, and smudge them a lot more. And then, you know, and then I do the same with the background. I tend to like, you know, blur it out and blotch it out and, you know, constantly just throwing more paint and, and textures and just to kind of downplay stuff. So it's, it's in the end, like, you know, I've always treated my art like cinematic storytelling. Like I'm always wanting to make it feel like you're watching a movie or that you're watching a show or that when you're looking at my art, you feel like, you, you know, it's really happening that you're, you know, that it feels legitimate even. So uh, that was, some of those techniques for this Rogue One print, which were a little new for me, I think they were necessary because I was trying, I was pushing that realism, I, that artwork needed to have that sense of legitimacy to it, where it, it had that extra depth to it. So it really felt, you know, three dimensional, like it pulls you in and you can kind of like feel the scene a little bit more realistically. What else will you guys be doing at Celebration? Brian, I saw that you're doing a craft in the kids' area. Yeah, the the kids' program happens at every Celebration, and I I think it's cool that Lucasfilm and Reed Pop go out of their way to come up with with cool things for kids to do, and it's no extra cost. So once uh, parents and families are in, they can go to the kids' room and participate in all kinds of fun events. My event, to make a paper craft BB-8, that's going to be a Saturday from 1 to 2 in the kids' room. And we'll have some really cool pre-printed BB-8 artwork and lots of fun art supplies. So the kids and the families can come and, you know, they can make their BB-8 look exactly like he did on screen or maybe come up with some cool alternate color styles. And then we'll be able to, to cut out the pieces and assemble them together and make a BB-8 that actually his head moves and the body rolls. So it'll be a lot of fun. 
And, uh, you know, it gives a, there's a lot to see and do at celebrations. So it's an, also a nice way to take a break. We say kids and families, but I, I usually have uh, quite a few other people hanging out and wanting to, to draw and sketch and make things as well. So if you just need a break, come see me or one of the other family room events at celebration. They're always a good time. Yeah, we're doing signings also. I know, I think Brian might have a signing at Acme Archives uh, in the art show area. Besides both of us appearing at our booth, which will be right across from Rancho Obi-Wan, actually, if when you're at Star Wars Celebration, you just have to look diagonally. We're right across the way there, uh, 2810. So Brian and I will be signing there all weekend at our booth, of course, and then I'll also be signing at um, for some new Rogue One artwork, which I haven't revealed yet, but Disney will be releasing it that weekend at Celebration, but it, it'll only be available at the park. So if you go to Disney World and you go to Disney Springs and you go to the Star Wars Outpost or you go over to the Marketplace where they have all the Marketplace shops, you'll be able to buy my new Rogue One artwork there. It's not the same artwork from Celebration. I'll actually have two brand new Rogue One prints that'll be exclusives to the Disney parks and they'll be available at Disney World and Disneyland all year round. Um, I'll be signing for that art um, at Disney World at the Marketplace Co-op in Disney Springs Thursday night and Friday night after Celebration. So I'm going to have two very long days. I go straight from Celebration over to the Disney Park, over to Disney Springs, and I'm signing from 7 to 9 at the Marketplace Co-op, and then I'm doing that again on Friday uh, after Celebration. So everyone can feel free if when they're done with Celebration, they can hop over to the park and hopefully I'll see some people there and I'll be signing the, the, the other brand new Rogue One artwork I created for that event. And uh, I'll be signing at Acme Archives booth Thursday from 1 to 2.30 and then again on Saturday as well. And there, there'll be a brand new uh, Rogue One propaganda poster. It's been a long time coming, so I'm really excited about it. I'm, I was thrilled when they told me yesterday that, they want, that Acme is going to debut it at Celebration. So I'm really excited. Everybody come out and see that. And if you happen to be staying at Celebration after hours on Thursday, there's going to be a panel all about the art show. And so I think four or six of us artists will be on the panel along with the moderator. If you want to hear more behind the scenes about the art show and how it works and stories uh, from some of the artists, uh, come see us there. Some people like to get commissions of artwork at the conventions. A lot of times artists will do sketches. Are you guys doing sketches while at the convention? Uh, yeah, we uh, will. Brian and I, now I'm not sure if I can speak for every artist, but uh, Brian and I usually do uh, sketches for fans when we have time at these events. Celebrations tend to be pretty crazy and hectic, uh, but we're still able to get a few sketches in here and there for fans. Um, we will be doing sketch remarks on, um, on our print, so if a fan pre-orders a print, they can also request a remark with their pre-order. Uh, there isn't a, a slight additional fee. I think mine mine's $30 to do it for a remark sketch on the prints themselves. But uh, they're custom sketches that we put in the, in the border of whatever character, you know, um, uh, the fans choose. Uh, so there's that option. We can, we can do remark sketches. Sometimes we'll do like, you know, headshot sketches or whatever on, on, a, on another piece of paper or whatever for a fan. So, so yeah, we will be doing sketches. I can't, you know, we're, our list is going to fill up really quickly, probably the first day. So I, I, I you know, I, I can't tell you how many we're going to be available to do, but, 
Um, usually the remark sketches, they'll go quicker. We can usually knock more of those out, I would say. Yeah, and I'll, I'll be bringing some uh, blank Star Wars uh, sketch cover comic books so I can do sketches on those. And then, like Joe said, if, if someone has their own sketchbook or I've got some Bristol board. But also, like Joe said, you know, they, they tend to go quick. So usually it's within the first hour each morning that my sketch list for the day will fill up. So um, we love drawing for all the fans. And if, if you want a custom sketch from us, just stop by early in the morning and, and get on our list. And then usually you can pick it up later the same day. All right. So guys, if they want your art, they can obviously try to get it at the convention. Each of yours is limited to 250 pieces. They can pre-order online. And you said they can also pre-order the remarks online. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's correct. Yep, that is right. Great, and we will put the link on our homepage, SWActionNews.com. Guys, thank you so much for your time. I really, I am a big admirer of both your works. I greatly appreciate you coming on the show and talking about them, and I look forward to seeing you at Celebration. Awesome, thanks, man. Uh, You guys are great, and we really appreciate you bringing us on and helping us spread the word about our prints and the art show. So thank you for uh, helping all the, uh, the artists out in this way. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having us, and we look forward to seeing you at Celebration. Now, while they are doing remarks of their art, you know, of course, Celebration is a time for autographs and for photo ops and Star Wars Authentics. On the last show, I'm like, I don't know much about this company. Well, I guess I just missed the big logo at the top of their page. <laughs> They're Tops, the trading card company, and Tops has been doing a lot of autograph cards. I remember the Harrison Ford signed trading card that was randomly inserted that somebody was selling for $10,000 oh. on eBay. So they have relations with celebrities and getting autographs. Well, official picks is out. Tops is in as Star Wars Authentics handling the autographs and the photo ops for this convention. And they got a big name. He's already sold out. But I was so happy to be getting Hayden Christensen. I know. He's been kind of like a white whale because he did one convention in Canada and we were going to go, but then he ended up canceling. Luckily, before we bought all our tickets, we haven't been able to get his autograph. And despite what you may or may not admit, you are an autograph collector. I do collect autographs, yes. Hayden went to Celebration 2. We saw him on stage talking about his role. And that's the last time he was at a celebration. Uh Uh-huh. He's done a couple of video things, the whole, hey, guys, wish I could be there kind of videos. Yeah. But he has never gone to a celebration. I think he's done one or two other conventions years ago, but nothing that I've found says that he is signing autographs. And I, of course, get my visuals dictionary signed. So I did grab two autographs from him before they sold out that evening that he went up. Yeah, they were very, very quick. And Alan Tudyk, he sold out as well. I ended up, I hemmed, I hawed, and I wasted too much time. And then I went back. His autograph was sold out. So now I bought the combo pack. Yay, I'm getting my photo with Alan Tudyk. Well, you could have bought it on site. I didn't want to risk it if it sold out online. But then he added another day. And so now all three days of the autograph are back open. So, oh, well, I get my photograph with Alan Tudyk. I'm wondering if I could like take a fake chainsaw and make it like he's uh, chasing after me. That would be fun. That would be, I think, the best one to do is a chainsaw with him. Maybe I could wear bib overalls. Oh, God. I could be like his friend. Tyler. Yeah. Tyler Labine. I don't know. Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Great movie. 
Also, another big get for me, an actor who I didn't think I'd ever get his autograph, Dennis Lawson. Wedge from the original series, Marjorie called me up and said, Wedge is going to be at the celebration. I'm like, is it fake Wedge, the one who they call Wedge, who said, that's impossible, even for a computer, even though it's not (laughs) Dennis Lawson. Is it him? Because I know Dennis Lawson is still a working actor. He's Ewan McGregor's uncle. I'm like, he must just be too big and not need to do, you know, as Marjorie talked last show, what Carrie Fisher called the lap dance. Yeah. But no, Dennis Lawson does the dance at Celebration. I'm so, so excited. He's the unsung hero of the rebellion. Aw. I hope they get him in one of the future movies. I mean, episode seven was chock full of characters. Couldn't squeeze too many in, but man, I want Wedge. And of course, Freddie Prince Jr. and Sarah Michelle Geller are there. However, if you get that signed, your Buffy the Vampire Slayer or your She's All That DVDs. Is somebody getting their She's All That DVD signed, Artie? I imagine there's somebody. Well, Tops won't authenticate that. No, they're only authenticating Star Wars related items. So my Tucker and Dale versus Evil DVD, if I were to bring that, would not be authenticated. Not that I ever authenticate. I have authenticated one autograph exactly in my life. My autographs are for me, and I don't care if somebody says, that's not real. Okay, you can say that. Yeah, you weren't there to get it. And finally this week, we have one more interview. We mentioned it at the top of the show. Frank Diorio, who runs the Diorama Workshop, he's joining us now. He's doing something different this year, and he's going to tell us all about it. So welcome back to the show, Frank. So great to talk to you again. Yeah, I'm happy to be here amongst the craziness of the last few days before we end up in Orlando together. I know. I'm surprised you're able to actually take the time out to talk to us. I know that we're always very busy before celebration with doing things for the podcast and doing things for the collecting track, but you usually go on major sleep deprivation beforehand and <laughs> not all nighters, but all weekers. So how are you doing? Yeah, well, I did I did go to bed at six o'clock this morning <laughs> or from yesterday, finishing up on uh, some of the last signage and, and different things like that. And we have some last minute blueprints and, and different things. So even though we prepare, like we started getting into this around maybe five, six months ago and Every time we do a convention, it's exactly what you said. It's like it always seems that we're always last minute. Like it would be nice to say like, oh, we started five months ago and we'll time it so that the last month we can just sit back and watch some Netflix and take it easy until we take our flight. But no, I'll probably be doing computer work until the day before I leave the city to go over there. The Diorama Project, for people who haven't heard us talk to you on the last couple celebrations and heard us talk about how much we absolutely love the work you do at the most interactive event at all of celebration but why don't you give us in your words what your customizing diorama project is okay well in general what we try to do which is because we you know it all started out because we all love toys and then we all love displaying toys well some people i know they keep the toys in packages and i used to do that as well but you know if you like displaying your toys and dioramas and different things like that you know we it started like 15 years ago this is our 15th year actually so it's like been doing this a long long time and time just flies by and you know it it was always to try and do sort of like displays but the, using 
really like simple dollar store items and things that you could find in your own city, you know, and so that parents and, and kids could rebuild. So that was like really the whole nucleus of the whole thing. You know, we said, because we could have gone the route of like trying to make it as accurate as the movie looked, you know, using all these fancy materials and stuff. But then it would have been more kind of like a show off booth instead of like a sort of like a family get together. And I see it like a sort of like, it's almost like a summer camp feel that we have at these things, you know, so you want to get the kids involvement in different things. So to me, it's always starts with sort of like, okay, we know we want to build something, we want to make a sort of like a diorama environment, we know we want to use dollar store things. So that's sort of like the core planning, right? Mm -hmm. Then you try to go like with themes, like what haven't the people seen, what movies coming out, or, or what, what new figures are out, or what is the exciting tour, different things like that. So you try to tie it in with that. And then this year, it started out with the well, there was Rogue One, and Rogue One was tied with, you know, episode four, as everyone knows. And, and this year was episode four, 40th anniversary. So it was kind of like, okay, well, we could celebrate because they have Death Star in Rogue One and Death Star in New Hope, then it was sort of like a no brainer. And we said, like, oh, how come we don't do that? And because, like you say, I'm so sleep deprived and all the different things, and I have all this chaotic stuff going on. One of the ideas was to reuse what we had done at Celebration 3, which was the Death Star build. And we said, oh, we could kind of tie that in with the 40th anniversary and and sort of like push it up a notch, but still use, you know, some of the core stuff that we had developed. That's 10 years ago. So like if kids were maybe like 15 or 13 then, they're like in their 20s now. So it's like they've kind of like moved on and now new kids coming in may not have really necessarily built Death Star yet. And we did that with um, Celebration 6 when we did Return to Tatooine, which was sort of like a wink to the first, first convention we had done uh, doing Moss Eisley. So we thought that the Star Wars thing would would be like, uh, the Death Star would be like the perfect tie-in for for this year. And like, who doesn't like the Death Star, right? To me, it's like, you know, I'm a huge film fan buff, sci-fi buff and all that. And even to this day, after all the, you know, obviously Star Wars, was influenced lots of stuff but that whole set the whole like the, the the design and everything it's still so iconic today like there's still it's still hard to beat you know it's just like you look at it and you just you can't just not fall in love and have your jaw drop what is the diorama project here when the kids come in or adults and want to work on this because you're doing like the trench and the death star outside how does this differ from years past when you've done Hoth and done Tatooine and all of that? The difference is that this will be our first year without doing any figures. So it's going like in a completely different direction, right? So we're basically, if you've seen some of the behind scenes footage of ILM when they filmed the Death Star, the original Death Star in the battle mm -hmm. at the end of New Hope, it was filmed with motion control and all of these things. So the idea when I saw that was that, that you know, actually it was the, I was skimming the internet to try to go back a little bit. And I saw that there's actually some fan gaming sites or, or groups in different cities that actually built, put like sort of like, it's more like, it's not like 3D dimension like we're doing. It's sort of like a printed monopoly, giant monopoly board of Death Star surface that you unroll, I guess. It's kind of like a poster that you put on a ping pong table. And then they play with like role playing on this thing. 
And that's kind of what inspired me to know that, oh, we could recreate the Death Star model the way that ILM did. And then because it's like just basic tiles and styrofoam and different things, and by doing a bit of research online, I said, like, this is doable. And then it made me think of, you know, when we were kids in, in back before internet, you know, and we <laughs> actually would make model kits <laughs> yes. as a hobby. Yes, I do. And so, you know, I remember doing like the C-3PO and R2-D2 models and the X-Wings and all the different things. So that's what's kind of cool about the Diorama Workshop this year is that compared to like making rooms for your action figures that we've done in the past, this is more like when you were a kid making model kits. So you're actually pre-cutting all of your pieces. We made, uh, Scott made us some really cool stencils out of 3D uh, printer so that you can like trace kind of like Spirograph. Do you remember that toy? Yes, I love yeah. that toy. So you basically will be getting, you know, you'll be choosing your tiles that you want to make and then you'll be getting your plastic stencils. And so you'll be tracing and then assembling. I guess that you could say, if you want, want to kind of do a comparison, it's like if we were making the Death Star out of Lego, but you have to build your Lego bricks before making the Death Star. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's the fun part. Because once you put all the pieces together, it really is sitting down to basics and then like having the fun of following what we call the, the core builds. So you're going to have the general shapes and... and uh, you know, curvatures of the 16 tiles that ILM had made. But then where it comes in, the fun of part for the imagination of the kids is that we're going to have all these little greeblies. And for fans that don't know what greeblies are, it means, well, I get, what is the definition? I guess it's like any little items or little kind of like doodads or little trinkets that you stick onto objects to give it texture and to make it more detailed. You mm -hmm. know, like when, when ILM would build their models, they would often use like, parts of like tanks and different uh, items like this. So that's kind of what Greeblies are. So the kids, we're just going to give them bins of that and they're just going to pick and put them where they want, what item they want. So technically, if we're, we're supposed to, in, in the diagram, in the way that we uh, made it, there's supposed to be 2,600 tiles or something like this that need to be built in, in the four days. And so... Technically, no two tiles will be alike because we're not telling the kids where to put these things. So if you want to put, like, say, uh, you know, four hair curler pins to add some kind of, like, texture, the other person might want to put only one or put none and then use some other, like, maybe a styrofoam ball or put some buttons or put some chain link or different things like that. So, And then once it's all painted, then the paint color, the gray, blends all of the little things, the greeblies, they unite the tile to make it really look like the ILM model. Like when you, when I saw the prototypes, I know it sounds weird and it's hard to explain on the phone and for people to get sort of like the picture compared to like when you say, oh, we're rebuilding, say like we did last time when we did uh, Bespin. You know, you've seen the movie, so you know, kind of know what the Bespin hallways look like and different things. But so even my team, I have to admit, like when I first told them, I said like, let's do the, the, the Death Star surface. And they went like, Oh, really? <laughs> but then when they saw what we were, what I was doing with the prototypes, then they got all excited and they said, "Like, oh my God, that's so much cooler than I thought it could be." Like, it sounds like a step down, but it's actually like it's like a a new energy of like a in a hundred eighty 
complete different direction, you know? What will the kids be doing when they come in? What is the actual activity of building one of these panels? Obviously, all the material and everything is all donated by Lucasfilm and Reed, so you don't have to pay for anything. So all the, you get all the material. We don't have to go buy anything for the construction. We have four building choices this year in order to make the Death Star. So you're going to have what we call the basic tiles, which are five-by-five five tiles that are placed in a group of four. There's like 14 variations of these tiles. So like at a sushi shop, you'll be coming in and you'll say, I want to, I like tile number one, four, six, eight. The next person will say, oh, I want to build number two, seven, 12, 13, and different things like that. So even that will add a whole mix to make it so that it's not all the same construction. So you're going to have the, the choice of either choosing four small tiles or making one big tile, which is a foot by foot, which is the size of the four tiles placed next to each other but it's there's two designs for the big tiles those are more like a advanced uh, model making techniques because of all, all the details and stuff like that so that'll be more for like people who have done this before as opposed to kids who can like just cut basic pieces and and add the greeblies to it and then the ones who want to build help build the trench then there's that option as well where you'll be basic basically doing the basic tiles but then arranging them sort of like in a overhang position because we're going to take the two tables and we're going to like spread them apart to sort of like make a gap and then the trench part the people that they build like one foot sections of the trench it's the tables measure 30 feet long so we're going to need 30 people to help build that and so the trench is actually going to go like fall off the lip of the table and then like suspend like three, four inches below. So when the, you see the whole texture of the, the surface of the all of the other tables, the trench will actually be going down below the gap of the two center tables, as opposed to the trench being on the same level of the, as the table. That's a nice touch. I like that, definitely. And then the last build is if someone doesn't want to do a tile and they want to do something a bit more exciting, well, obviously, when the... X-Wings are being chased by the TIE Fighters and all that on the Death Star. They're, the Death Star has to have turrets and laser towers shooting at the ships, right? So the people will be able to build two different models. We have even an advanced system that we bought all these, like, uh, you know, I, I talked to you about dollar store items and how we try to find ways to build stuff that you can recreate at home in case you see something that sparks your mind. So we actually went to, like, these old... Um, dollar stores and found these kind of like a it's not really a disco light but it's kind of like a night light you know that sort of like spins around with and and shoots like colored dots on kids rooms kind of mm -hmm. like little little lamps there it's like a five dollar lamp or six dollar lamp so we're actually stealing that motor so we're gonna have actual motorized uh, turrets as part of the display that some people want to help build that as well and we're gonna have emperor towers now we're kind of assuming that they were there, but you maybe didn't see them in the certain angles, you know, that, that we're in A New Hope. I know it's a bit more Jedi, the Emperor Towers, but the reason that we wanted to put them there is that we're going to be having those motorized as well with these long pieces of uh, wood 
that are sticking out of the emperor windows and we're going to have tie fighters that are going to be suspended from these rods and so the motor's going to make it uh, the tie fighters spin around like if it was a carousel kind of thing and so the tie fighters are going to be chasing x-wings while you're looking at the model so it'll ha- kind of have like an interaction kind of thing to sort of like spruce up the interest a little bit you know so those are the four main choices that the people will have when they enter the workshop this year i think one of the neat things I always find at your dioramas is that I take home a skill. Is there any particular skill that people are going to learn this time? Like the thing that stuck with me, I think the longest is how to make great looking trees when we did the Ewok village at celebration Four. Oh, that was, that, that was our favorite. Yeah. I love that one. Yeah. So neat to just see that take shape. So what can people expect for this one? This one, well, we're kind of like, you know, we always stick to the to, to, to the same sort of like a styrofoam foam core that all architects use when uh, when they build miniature models. And even ILM and different studios, they use these to sort of like show what the, well, now maybe it's a bit more computerized, but, you know, to show what it looks like in 3D, the, the set before spending lots of money to, to build it. So people are going to be sort of like uh, homing their skills of like uh, how to learn to, to cut more intricate patterns in in foam core like doing circles and angle cuts and different things like that that'll help them in future builds when you want to do actual room dioramas as well so it's really just the fun of getting back to your childhood you know of what it was like to sit for three hours at the table and take your little tiny miniature paintbrush and paint all the details of your model and and like glue all the pieces together and you know, and then to sit back after and say, like, oh my God, I can't believe that something so simple looks so cool, you know. And then obviously, not to toot my own horn, but like when I saw, the, the, you know, I had to, that's the one thing that we have to do that why it takes so long of, in the planning is that I have to build all the prototypes before the show to make sure that when we get to the show, right, we, everything works and fits together. And then people don't say, like, what is this? train wreck or something that <laughs> these pieces don't fit together or what am I trying to do? It's not working. So obviously I only made one of each tile and different things to see what it looks like. So the the finished, when I assemble all the pieces, it maybe makes like a five by five foot kind of like model. But then when, when you sort of like imagine what that's going to look like by 40 feet by 25 feet, and you see like everyone's tile sitting next to each other, it's just going to be like the most amazing thing. And it's just like the trees, you know, if you only had like one or two trees, it's cool. But then when we saw the whole forest at the end that year there, it was like, uh, it was hard to believe that people passing by who didn't help build, like they were all surprised that it was only crinkled paper mm-hmm. and, and paint, you know? Yeah. Because from far away, it didn't look like that at all. People were there, oh, you used real tree bark and stuff and, you know. So again, it's just trying to to see like what simple materials that uh, kids can can use, and and it's you know it's just to to bring the 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 you know we're in such an age of like I'm starting to sound like you know like my father used to be when I was ten years older in my day, you know, but it's like we're in such a technological age now, you know, it's kind of fun to try to introduce kids to get away from their phone and iPad and to actually get back into using their hands and to build stuff with their parents to help them and different things like that. So that's what, you know, that's what uh, excites us the most. And that's what, you know, I think that's the skills that if they, if they can learn to just get away from technology a little bit and the fun of actually 
you know, when it's a rainy day to just say like, oh, let's build this or or whatnot. And maybe it'll make them go back and, and Toys R Us and buy a X-Wing model or something after and, you know, decide to see what that's like. Now, with the previous ones you've done, at the end of the event, after the display was starting to be broken down, people would come and be able to get some of the figures that they customized and things. Are people going to be able to take home the sections of the Death Star that they build? Yeah, that part remains intact. Obviously, it's, you know, it's fun to be able to keep a souvenir. I try to, I think somewhere in the house, I have at least one little piece even though, you know, I didn't build as much as, you know, the, most of the people. But I try to bring one little piece back home, and that's the kind of makes you smile and makes you think of the memories. So, obviously, yes, we're going to have the people, whatever you build during the four days, we put it on display with all the other people to make the humongous build, obviously. But then on the Sunday when we do the teardown, whatever you built, we're going to be able to have you take it back. And because it's like a tile this time, it'll probably fit in people's luggage a lot easier than a tree trunk, <laughs> you know, or <laughs> or, a, or a whole uh, huge like vestment room or some people had done like, a, you know, huge uh, – towers that uh you know tatooine buildings or different things so it'll be easier to pack you know but also the cool part is that when i was talking about the role-playing things uh even though we don't have action figures to display on inside the death star because it's not necessarily a room like we did in the past when we started looking into the death star and all of these things and we noticed that Hot Wheels was, you know, before, way before Hot Wheels even, there was like all the the action fleet and the die cast, you know, the Galoob miniatures and all those things that were like really cool. And so it's neat that Hot Wheels kind of like took over that scale and it fits perfectly with the tiles that we're doing. So Mattel and Hot Wheels were nice enough to that they're actually going to be giving to help display the battle of the of the surface of the Death Star, they're going to be giving Hot Wheel starships to put on the table. So if a starship happens to be on your tile, well, then the child will, will you know, it could be an adult because we, we have to admit there's some adults come to build, right? Because it's still fun. Even you don't have to be 10 years old to, to build. There's no real age limit in our booths. And uh, so if there's like a starship that happens to be on your tile, well, then you get to bring that home as well. So you get like a little bonus thing. Oh, that's really cool. Hot Wheels actually decided to partner with us this year. When I was designing the Death Star and all that, I went to dinner at a friend's house, and then his kids had Hot Wheels, and they actually had Hot Wheel cars, which I wasn't aware of at the time. And so then I said, oh, that's kind of cool. And then when we decided just before uh, Christmas to do the Death Star surface, I said, like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to have, like, Death Star racing down the trench, you know? So then I did a little mock-up Photoshop of, like, two tracks. I did some searches on YouTube to see, like, you know, if uh, tracks existed of drag racing and different things like that. And then I fell upon this toy that uh, Hot Wheels makes, which was kind of like a six-lane racing kind of thing, which has a starting gate, and the six cars, like, fly off together, and there's, like, a automatic sort of, like, um, kind of like an arch at the end with, like, little sensors so that you can actually tell which car finished first, so that, which is a good thing, because the last thing we want is, like, kids saying, my car was first, no, it was mine, and <laughs> so now we have, like, accurate Mattel of uh, uh, sanctioned, you know, racing, <laughs> racing guidelines. But I saw this 
six lane thing. And I said, my God, if we did like a six lane race against the Death Star Trench, that would be amazing. And so then by coincidence, I was just like chatting on Facebook with Matt Booker, a friend of mine from England. It, this was during the time or just after Celebration Europe. And he said, oh, I know a guy from Mattel and he put us together. And I gave them the photo of the Photoshop montage and, and they loved the idea. And so that's how the whole thing was born. And then by coincidence, they're launching car ships, which are shaped like X-Wings and Darth, and Darth Vader's TIE Fighter and different things like that. So what we're going to be doing is that we're going to be installing a giant 40-foot Hot Wheel track, well, six lanes of Hot Wheel track, 40 feet, and we're going to be racing every day down the Death Star. And what's even cooler is that these cars that the kids are racing, they're not just racing for the fun of it, but they're actually going to be able to take a car ship home with them after they race. So that's an amazing thing. Hot Wheels said, okay, how many races do you think that you you could have during the four days and different things? And we came up with a system. We have like four races a day, five races on Saturday. It came to us like 540 races or something. And they said like, okay, let's give 540 cars away to the kids. And I said like, whoa, <laughs> I was like just blown away, like their generosity, right? And I said like, okay, let's do this. And then we started like tweaking and planning a little bit more. And then the whole thing just gelled. It like, it fit like the two ideas just fit. The timing was just like perfect, you know? So we're actually going to have what we call the trench run races, uh, the Death Star trench runs at the convention. And to make it even more exciting, then uh, Hot Wheels was like, okay, well, we have 10 ships. So why don't we, you know, can you make us like a button so that we could give the kids like a, an exclusive convention button? And at the same time, then, you know, you give the button after they, after they finish racing at the end of, you know, the, each heat, then we'll give them a button. And then when they go and present the button to the Hot Wheels booth, then Hot Wheels is going to give them a car ship. So that's really amazing. So it's kind of like a cool interaction between the two, the two booths that we have this year. And uh, it's the first time that we're partnering with Hot Wheels and like we're really excited about this new direction and how all of this is going. On top of it, the way that it's working with the races is that we have six lanes, right? So we're going to have Heat 1, where the six cars race, and then the winner of that will go into the Grand Prix Lane 1. Then there's Heat 2, six more racers, and the winner of that one will go into Lane 2 of the Grand Prix and so on with heat three, four, five, six. And then the Grand Prix race will go. That'll be the seventh race of the, of, the, of the time slot. And then the winner of that gets a special collector gold button that when he goes and shows this to the Hot Wheels, Hot Wheels told me that this year at the convention, they're going to be bringing in a life-size X-Wing car ship on display to show the fans. But the button will allow the kids or the adult quote, quote, <laughs> will allow them to actually sit inside the cockpit and take a selfie in the car. How cool is that? That is really cool. So how does someone sign up for this? The races, because Hot Wheels is such a popular brand and everything like that, we want to keep it still for the Diorama Builders booth because it's exclusive to what we're doing. So to race, you have to be a builder. You can't just be like a Hot Wheels fan and then show up for the race and then like leave five minutes after. It won't be fair to the people who are building and who might not have a slot or anything like this. So 
the races are for builders only. Every morning, we put the sign-up sheets for the races. So say it's on Thursday, we have a race at 1, at 3, and at 5. So then all three sign-ups will be pasted on the board by the Death Star in the morning. And so then you come in. Everyone's allowed one race, okay? Now, where it becomes interesting is that we've made special collectors silicone trench run bracelets. And we used to would give that kind of thing you know, as a thank you or as a welcome to the workshop. But instead, what we're doing is that as soon as the builders finish their first construction piece, then we give them a bracelet. Now, this bracelet will allow them to do two races a day instead of just one. So technically, if they finish early enough their build, they'll be able to collect an entire set of the 10 buttons. This is a way for the people to be able to um, uh, two races at the same time and multiply the chances of them getting complete sets. Now, the other thing that's cool, and I'm just mentioning this because I don't want to forget about it because it's very, very amazing, is that you were talking about what do kids get to bring back home and everything like that. So obviously they bring back their the trench piece or the turret or whatever the construction that they did. They get to bring back one of the car ships if it's, uh, I mean, the, the starships if it's on one of their tile displays. They also get the car ships if they do the races. And then another thing that's cool is that as soon as you finish your build, not only do we give you the bracelet so that it'll allow you to do more races, right? Then what we're also doing is that we bought, of all things, imagine that's the child in me and fan of Prices Right that I've been watching since Bob Barker years, like <laughs> way, way, way long ago. Uh, one of the coolest things on Prices Right is Plinko, right? So I saw that you could actually buy Plinko boards online. So we bought a Plinko board and... What we're going to do is that we had our friend Bobby from ToyHut.com agree to come back and help us sponsor, and he's going to be donating over $2,000 worth of prizes. So ha when you hand in your build, right, every time you hand in a build, so if you do three, four bills, you'll win three, four prizes, So, but you have to hand in a build in order to get this. So when you hand in your build, you'll get your orange bracelet for the trench runs, but you'll also get two Plinko chips. And then you'll get to play the Plinko game, and it's like it's like I'm not, I'm just thinking of it. And it makes me smile. It's just how, <laughs> how how childish I am, I guess. But when you drop it, it still bounces like on the show, like it goes. Boop, 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 boop. And so it'll land in two slots, and then you choose what prize that you want to take home. So like you might land on a, you know, like a 3D um, one of those like metal Starship model kits there, or it might land on a discount for ToyHut.com or it could be a Funko bobblehead or, you know, there's all kinds of prices that are going to be there. So at least if you, since you land in two slots, you'll have a choice and not just be stuck with like, oh, I don't want the, the I was going to say Jar Jar, but I don't want to insult. <laughs> so, but yeah, so people will be able to play Plinko and get prizes uh, of, of that nature. That's signing up for the races, but what about signing up to build? To build, what you do is you just show up, basically. <laughs> There's an entrance queue, and you know that Star Wars Celebration is a lot about... There's a lot of waiting for people who have never been to a convention. Last year, or last time, I bumped into a fan that had come to every convention since the third one. And then we said, like, oh, how long have you... When did you arrive? And they go, oh, we've been waiting for three hours. And we're going like, oh, my God, people are waiting three hours to go to our booth. You know, like, because it's you doing it, you don't think that you're, like, we know we're part of the official convention, if you want to call it. Well, we are. It is part of the official convention experience. But 
because it's fan made and it's sort of like in your own head, you still think you're in your basement doing it. Kind of. Does that make sense? Yeah, I do. I, I completely understand. Yes. You know, and you, it just blows the mind that you you know. And we've had, the the cool thing also is we've had fans come to see us and say that the first thing we check before buying celebration tickets is to see if you guys are coming back. So that's very flattering, and that's like really cool to to know about that. So yeah, you just show up, and then there's like a sort of like an entrance line, and then you Duke will probably be one of the returning staffers. I have seven core staffers. You just walk into the booth; they'll point you to one of the people who are handing out the blueprint sheets the uh, starter kits and then you just go and sit and you start tracing and then you just build and then what's cool about our booth is that there's no real rules it's more like a gathering because you've seen the, the, the workshop how it works and all that if you come and start building something then you could say oh it's two o'clock i want to go see you know a panel of mark hamill or rebels tv show or different things like this so you can actually give us what you started building and we'll put it aside and then you leave and then you could come back three hours later or even the next day and then you keep building so it's kind of like a in out thing obviously you know we're limited to the amount of table space so if you arrive at a time that all the chairs and the tables are taken then you have to wait for someone to leave in order to take their place but there's no particular sign up for actual building that's more for like sort of like the extra activities that we're doing inside the workshop this year cool and you talked about the buttons you have everybody this celebration we've said it before seems to be all about the swag what kind of swag are you going to have for people coming by we kind of cut things down a little bit because we wanted to keep it more simple and like less stressful and we're still giving away very, very limited patches. We decided to make a patch of the Death Star, our Death Star logo, the Star of Star Wars Celebration Death Star Diorama Workshop. It's a really cool patch. We're, we have only 50 a day that we're giving. So we're going to be giving 25 in the morning and then start another batch of 25 starting like at 2 o'clock. So that way, you know, if you arrive at 11 and they're all gone, then it's not, you know... The, disappeared for the the entire day so we're going to be giving those that's our main swag and then after that if you want to call it sort of like an official swag um we have the car ship buttons that we were talking about with hot wheels which is the partnership with that so there's 10 different car ships so there's 10 different buttons that's pretty much it in terms of like if you want to call like through the definition of swag this sounds awesome, Frank. I know it's a departure from before, but it sounds like you guys are really making it cool and fresh this year. So kudos to you. I, you know, I know my schedule at celebrations hasn't been that other since celebration four. We haven't had the time to come and join the diorama building, but I always make it a point the last day in the afternoon I come by and I take so many photos of your dioramas and I am so excited to be seeing that again this year. So Thank you for doing it. Oh, well, thank you for, you know, for saying that. It's it's really kind, you know, and I, I totally get you. You know, it's like when we're on the other side of the coin and like we have the, the opportunity, you know, we're given the opportunity to, you know, be participants in this thing where people will come and you have to do the coverage and different things. You just can't enjoy the convention the way you used to when you first just went as a fan. You know, you're sort of like limited it's sort of like a double-edged sword. It's like, oh, it's cool because I get to do this, but it's kind of like sucks because then I can't experience necessarily what the fans are seeing, you know? But 
we wouldn't trade it for for the world. It's like every no, time, every, every no. time we always say it's the last one we're gonna do. It's so draining, <laughs> and it's like, oh my god, I can't believe this. Like it took so much energy and blah blah blah. And then you know you get home, and then two weeks later, it's like, okay, when's the next one? <laughs> you know, you... <laughs> I know that feeling very well, and you know it is work to do these conventions but i wouldn't trade it you know people would kill for this kind of ability to help fans you know i think that's what it's all about is making fans have a great time at celebration and i just really i can't talk up what you do enough for families for kids for adults i have a friend who sadly isn't going to be able to join us at celebration and he was lamenting that this was the year that he had set an entire day aside to work on the diorama project he'll get his chance next time maybe or at least he'll be able to watch at home we're hoping to do at least some live videos so for the people who can't come to orlando to at least experience at the same time as you know, at least one or two of the races that people can see what that's like, the energy and different things like, you know, but then maybe we'll shoot ourselves in the foot because you can't really edit the footage. And if something happens and you go like, oops, <laughs> sorry, people, it's live, you know, it's like Frank falling on top of the table and crushing the dioramas, you know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> one million hits. <laughs> Frank, thank you so much for your time. It is always a joy talking to you, and we will see you at Celebration. We will make a point to stop by. You're always you're a hard man to t catch up with, but we will we will find a way. <laughs> I know it's hard. It's hard to find time to be with everybody. You all want to have drinks. You want to do all kinds of things, and you never find the time to do. You know, at least we get to shake our hands, hug, and say goodbye, and then see you <laughs> next year. <laughs> no. Thanks again for asking me to come and chat. Talk to you soon. So that is our show for this week. As we wrap up, a couple of last celebration schedule reminders. Yes, Dale, who was the host with the most for the Star Wars Action News pre-celebration dinner, he spent... I have to imagine hours taking the official schedule and putting it into a grid form that's color-coded by type of activity. It's beautiful, but we're going to share the link with you guys so you can maybe make some easy planning for yourselves when you attend Celebration. And if you are staying down there on International Drive, Read Pop did put out the bus shuttle schedule, so you can take a free shuttle to and from the convention center to your hotel, now, word of warning, it does end at like 8 o'clock at night, like the last bus leaves. So there are events that last past that. There is a trolley that goes up and down International Drive that is like five bucks a ride, maybe more. You can get a fast pass if you need more days. There's also Uber or, you know what, evenings in Florida are really nice. Get out and take a leisurely stroll if you're not carrying a bunch of stuff. And if you followed our tips from last show, your feet should be up for it. Yes, they should. And don't forget, you can see us Saturday from 2 to 3, the patch giveaway, the meet and greet, Sunday at 1230 on the podcast stage doing a live show, Wednesday if you've already RSVP'd at the pre-celebration party, throughout the whole weekend as we do the Recollections video project in the Collecting Lounge, and at the swap meet Saturday night at 7 o'clock. If you are coming to sell items at the swap meet... We are going to have set up beforehand. Just find somebody in the social room, one of the volunteers or us, and we'll help you guys out. So that's it for this week. Until next time, from Celebration, may the pegs be stocked and the Celebration be with you wherever you are. Nope, nope. Oh, hey, you
Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find pictures of the toys reviewed, chat with other Star Wars collectors, and find hundreds of Star Wars Action News episodes at our website, SWActionNews.com. This podcast is created by Star Wars fans showing their love of Star Wars. We rely on listener support to keep the show going. You can pledge to our Podbean fundraising campaign by going to SWActionNews.com support. Backers get rewards including exclusive video content, early show releases, and more. You can also help out our show by telling your friends to listen by posting on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or in person. We would also greatly appreciate a five-star review written on iTunes. A link to our iTunes feed is at SWActionNews.com. We want your feedback on Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at SWActionNews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at SWActionNews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can also find Star Wars Action News on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. The links to our social media sites are at SWActionNews.com. You can also send us your latest store reports, figure reviews, and more. Email us an MP3 or iPhone voice memo at show at SWActionNews.com. All content received is subject for use on the show. If you also enjoy Marvel Comics, you can hear Arnie and Marjorie talk about the toys and statues based on Marvel Comics characters on the Marvelicious Toys podcast at MarveliciousToys.com. Star Wars Action News is always looking for new people to help with the show. You can find a list of skills we need on our blog at VenganzaMedia.com. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, edited, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. Video editing by Barrett, Andrew, and Daryl. Website design by Jason. Graphic design by Jay. Photo editing by Scott and Curtis. Announcements by Brock. Segments created by Andrew, Brock, Daryl, Jerry, Jonathan, Nathan, and Steve. For more Star Wars collecting, check out GalacticHunter.com, JediDefender.com, JediTempleArchives.com, and YakFace.com. And we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. Star Wars and all that the Star Wars universe contains is trademark and copyright Lucasfilm Limited, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company. All rights reserved. Star Wars Action News is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. Your feet don't stink at the end of the day. Say that again. Sorry. Do not fly things at my face. <laughs> is somebody getting their shoes off that DVD side, Artie? I real tomato ketchup, Eddie. <laughs>